Hello, friends, and thank you for listening. We have finally reached episode 10. We have heard from individuals, small business owners, lawyers, and professors. And we are just getting started. My guest today is the creator of Copia Line Publishing. He has created a one-of-a-kind book that allows people to practice drawing in an enjoyable way. Him and his partner both experienced a lot of instability growing up, and today they've created an amazing home for their daughter and their soon-to-be newborn. In this podcast, we talk about creativity, art, meaning, responsibility, and so much more. Please give it up for my guest, David the Artist. And we're live. David Shearer, how are you doing today? I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm having a pretty, pretty awesome day. We went to the, me and my family, my fiance and our daughter, we went to the corn maze in Chilliwack. And it was your first time, right? That's my first time. And it was, uh, it's pretty incredible. I didn't, I thought it would just be like a maze of corn. It's not. They have like so much stuff for kids, like lots more than you would think. Absolutely. And they wrote something different this time, right? Yeah, they have a they have a wall full of like the different murals. I guess they've done with the corn mazes, and this one is based on togetherness, which yeah. I guess is like the twenty twenty pandemic. We're in weird theme. times. We need to start working together. Yeah, they, I guess they were debating if they were going to do it, just because it was like when they were planting the corn. I think it was like right around the time the pandemic was at its peak. Yeah. So yeah, I guess they they ended up doing it, and I think it's doing pretty well. Yeah, I, I suspect. But yeah, they're they're taking precautions like everyone is. So. Yeah, and I guess you're kind of socially distanced in a corn maze anyways. Yeah. Well, so then we did that. Then we did the easy one because we have like a four-year-old with us and, and uh, my fiance is pregnant and she's due in um, like a month. We got about a month left. So we didn't want to take it too too heavy, but uh, I was like, I got to conserve my energy because I'm going to go talk to Aaron today. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, now I think I'm doing pretty good now. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's get right into it then and start off just with a little bit about your family because I think that that's incredibly interesting just to get us started. Sure. Yeah. Well, so probably my immediate family, eh? like Jenna. Yes. So Jenna and I have been together for a couple of years now, for two years, and we got engaged on our two year anniversary. She surprised me and took me camping, and she's really awesome. She got her bachelor's degree in social work, and she's going to end up doing that. And it's really interesting because she didn't, uh, she didn't get her hours before, uh, you know, we, got pregnant so we're not having like that support from the government yet for really? something like that so but so far we're doing great i work from home just doing freelance and supporting myself i've been doing that for ages so we're doing that together and we've been doing that for quite a long time transition has been like with megan our, our four-year-old uh, taking her out of daycare and having her at home full time yeah it's been on, it's been challenging but actually really awesome i think it's like made us a better and stronger family that's awesome she's and she's awesome and she's growing so much. And uh, I don't know if you know, if you've had experience with toddlers, but them going from like a point when they can't say much to like saying a lot and saying full sentences and really communicating and it feels so good. And I don't know, just growing as a as a dad and a partner as well. And I know Gen X feels the same thing with her position. So That's awesome. Uh, can you tell us about your relationship with Megan? Because I think that that's oh. incredibly interesting right out of the gate. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm I'm her like stepfather essentially came into her life when she was about two and a half. Yeah, I was like, there's just, she's just this little girl and she's really cute and for whatever reason, she just loves me and uh, we, we started having fun right away and, you know, through bonding and it took us a little while to get to like maybe a parental role 
it, then that's a trend, it's a whole transition, right? Like becoming a little girl's dad yeah. and what that means to them and really what it means to me too. Cause you start to like embody all those things that happened to you when you were a kid and your parents were raising you or, you know, whoever was taking care of you was raising you and they were like doing those things and you're like, I'm doing those things now. And so I found myself doing that and the transition too from her calling me David to dad and that was such a trip. And then getting to potty train her and getting to like help her communicate and helping her build confidence. And Jenna and I went to parenting classes, you know, provided by the government. I think it was called the care program or something. It's super awesome. And it really taught us how to help her and actually each other. When we're like in stressful times, you can shoot down into into like the way they describe it is like downstairs, stairs and like your upstairs brain. And so when you get stressed, you shoot right down to your downstairs brain and that's like your fight or flight. You're just like crying and you're inconsolable and you're freaking out. And the stairs represent love and safety. So if you can help a kid or even your partner feel loved and feel safe, because that's what sends them downstairs is they don't. They like, they just don't feel that way. Then they go to their upstairs brain, which is their logical brain. And that little bit of information has just helped us to like be really good to each other and to her. So even if I'm like stressed and freaking out because she's having a moment, I can do that little trick, give her a hug, help her feel safe. And then like immediately she comes back and she's like, she's with it. And that, those kind of experiences and doing that with Jenna, like going through that, that class, and it was something like five or six classes where they taught us just different things like the kind of danger or how it feels to say no, for instance, to a kid versus saying yes. So she's like, I don't, I don't know if I want dinner. I want a cookie. Instead of going, no, you go, yeah, cookie's a great idea. After dinner, though, let's do it after dinner. That's brilliant. So those little things, like, to me, I was like, yes, this is all awesome information. And Jenna and I immediately became way better parents. <laughs> it's wild that they don't teach us that because that does sound like when you say it, it yeah. just sounds like we should have, I should have had that. I think it's because we relate to it, right? Like, so we were taught a lot of, like, you're you're a bit younger, right? How old are you? 24. Yeah, so I'm almost 36. I, I know I was taught kind of wrong, those wrong behaviors, right? So I was told no constantly. I remember going to my friend's, my friend's friend's house. His dad is like, loves drums. So I got drum kits. And they were like, yeah, just play the drums. Go for it. And I was like, as soon as I get on it, I hit it. It was really loud. And like, I got this ringing in my, my brain of like my mom saying no, like to be quiet. <laughs> like, oh my Lord. So I had to like free that up. And that to me is uh, what really resonated with me. I'm like, yeah, saying no can kill someone's like spirit of like create creativity or exploration or just like fun like, it's okay to be loud it's okay to do stuff maybe be mindful maybe be respectful that makes sense let's do a little bit of a background we kind of jumped in there so let's get a sure. little bit of a general background on you on me yeah well i that's a i have a long history i suppose but we got lots of time i'm canadian and you know i ended up we ended up moving down to the states when i was about uh, i guess seven eight and i lived there for 10 years and I got a stepfather down there, similar to Megan, right? I was, but I was a little bit older than her. So we were together probably for four years. And then we ended up moving back to Washington State and then back up to Canada and then back down and forth to Canada, back and forth, like a little bit. And even across the States a couple of times, I was really raised American in a lot of ways, but I think very much Canadian. And obviously I've been living here since I was like 2000, 2001, I think. That's lots of time. It was a it was a weird time to move back to because it was like right before nine eleven. Oh wow! I, I moved back to Canada for like eleventh grade, and my birthday September fourteenth. School started like 
I, I don't know what it was, a couple days prior or something to September 11. And it was just like, didn't go to school. Uh, things just got like insane. It was something like that. But yeah, then I've so I've lived in Canada since then. You know, I've been doing practicing art my whole life. Yeah. Um, that really started when I was 10. But yeah, I, I, that interest really, really started when I was 10. And I just kept like building on it into essentially my career. Can you tell people a little bit about Copaline? I think I said it correctly. Copaline is, uh, yeah, so that's that's something I came up with. And it's really, so it's essentially, it's a reverse coloring book, this idea. And I, I really, I've been trying to think of inventions for years. It's just an interesting thing to try to ponder. And an invention is really taking like two ideas that kind of already exist and putting them together, plus solving a need that maybe people don't realize exists. So for me, copialine, it's just this name we came up with. I think it's a Norwegian word, copia, with two dots above it. It means cop. So it's the reverse of a coloring book, as simple as I can break it down. A coloring book has lines that you color, right? So the lines are pre-drawn. You just color whatever you want. Mine's exactly the opposite. They're colored shapes that you put lines to. And so the reason is, the reason I came up with this is because when I was a kid, I actually didn't like coloring. I didn't really understand just jumping into a coloring book. I would say, why do that? Like when you can draw a picture and color the picture. So that's, for me, that's one reason I made it. I was like, I loved drawing, but they didn't have drawing books for me that were easy like a coloring book. They're like how to draw books were like, you just want to quit. You just want to stop. Yeah. It's like it gives origami you a, or something. A next step, yeah. Well, it's, it's complex. And they're like, you have to draw these circles and circles and lines and circles and then just draw everything. And you're like, I, I just want to figure out how to draw a couple of eyes, I guess. So that's one of the like the reasons it, it, I, I came up with it. The other one really is because as an artist, just as a regular everyday artist, but also as like a professional artist, uh, I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, like, uh, you're, I was born with it, this talent that I just inherently have. They could never do it. They say, you should see me draw a stick man. And I'm like, I, I was the same exact way. I wasn't special in third grade. I drew like everyone else. I think the only thing I noticed was like everyone fell off. They, they quit over time and I just kept going. That's the difference. Because I kept going, I kept developing. So really, I made it for people who, who actually would like to have the experience of drawing, kind of wish they could, but don't have either the interest or or something that would compel them to keep learning and have to develop the skill sets. So I have these colored shapes, and you can literally just draw it. Like, you really just make all the lines you want to, and you have fun with it. Kind of like a coloring book, right? You just color it however you want, and you have fun. And that's kind of the simple, basic idea of it. Wow, that is so interesting because you're right. A lot of people in their elementary school years look at, like I would say b before this podcast, I'm not much of a drawer. And I think I said that when you came in yeah. and I was just like, not a drawer. So could you explain this to me? And it's funny how we just loop ourselves into that mindset where I've also said I'm not much of a reader, but now I read all the time because it's just something I've put myself into the circumstance of saying, well, you need to be able to read. These are important books. You can't just yeah. like avoid it. So tell but, us a little bit more about. Well, it's so true. Like that's, I think that's very true. I think it's an identity thing that people do to themselves. Like I remember one time this guy, well, my, I was friends with my mom. He was playing a guitar and it was beautiful. He was making awesome music. I was like, oh, do you, do you have any, uh, uh, do you have any songs that you made? He's like, oh, no, I don't really do that. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, but you're a musician, right? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm not a musician. And I was like, you're playing guitar though. And he was like, oh yeah, but that's different. I'm like, do musicians play guitar? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, 
And it's the same thing with being an artist. I, and that was something I had to struggle with uh, personally as I developed as an artist. And it's weird. I think it's a label thing. Like to apply the artist label to myself, I have to have X, Y, and Z qualifications. Otherwise, I'm not that. But that's just not true. Um, and I guess I, I realize that with myself. I am a musician. I am a reader. I'm a writer. I'm I'm all of it. I'm a comedian. I'm an actor. I, I do it all. But I don't do it all like I'm not a master of all of it. But I have it in me to do it where it's all a spectrum. So I think that's a big part of of what it takes for people to pick something like that up is they have to face their like identity, uh, who they are to just sit down and, and draw a, a picture, even if it's like kind of spelt out. That's that's so crazy because I did the exact same thing about three weeks into the podcast. Mm. I'd recorded a few episodes and I was feeling good about it. And then I thought, well, am I a podcaster? Yeah. And it's like, that's not me. I'm not that person. <laughs> yeah. And once you do something for a certain amount of time, you start to accept the label. And that's that's interesting that you have to grapple with that and that people picking up these books or read are starting to read when they're not readers do yeah. have to grapple with that part of them that has always just identified as a person with a certain quality that's incapable of doing that. Yeah, or like because I see my limitations or I see the experts out there. And I think that's what people say to me because they see me and they see like these really like like complicated pictures that I've made. And it's just like to them, they're not an artist. They're like they're like a caveman drawing stick figures on a cave wall, and I'm like Rembrandt, and it's like yeah, but they're both artists. Like artists, the word I think really has to do with human expression, right? So, but that's funny with the podcast thing. That's very true. Like as soon as you make a one podcast, you're a podcast. Yeah, and and when you start to grapple with how you're going to be identified in the world, because a lot of I think throughout the last hundred years most people have identified with their career as who they are and they say well i'm a lawyer or i'm one thing and it's like i am i have a partner i am lots of different things i have an education i have a work i'm not one thing i'm dynamic and fluid and i i choose different interests over time that's so true um yeah i wonder there's got to be like an uh, inherently like of course we have very we do have limitations at some point like some people can't carry a beat to save their life. They're probably still a musician on some level, you know, but yeah, maybe they're not like the same level as everybody. Maybe it's not that. But yeah, my book was essentially and and all the all the drawings that we produced after like it's meant to enable people. So I I think the reason it need, it needs to exist, the reason it's kind of this powerful thing is cuz there's this gap of supporting people's interest in art. Because, like, as soon as you decide that you're done drawing, and can I ask you, did you ever draw? Did you draw when you were a kid? Yes. Yeah. Did you stop drawing? Yeah. So, that's most people. Most people actually do draw and they quit for one reason or the other. Either it becomes too hard or it's, like, uh, just not interesting. And I think that's kind of tragic because – so, I've said it this way once. I was like, you know, drawing literacy uh, is probably at an all-time low. So, reading literacy is pretty high. That's pretty important to our culture. Drawing literacy isn't. So drawing is actually important to uh, artists and it's relegated to like the artistic world, but not like the every person world. Um, so that's something that we we kind of realize uh, just trying to move forward with our company and producing these things is uh, is that idea that like really everyone could encourage their own expression through art. And this might be a good way to do it. That like all I got to do is sit down and I can play with different lines. I can try different textures. 
And uh, you do have to go through the basic like fundamental problems that drawers go through. How do I hold my pencil? What kind of pencil do I use? What kind of shapes can I even make? How do I make texture? What it, What is shading? Like, how do I do that? Um, so those are like very fundamentals that this helps you start to explore. And then you realize, oh, I actually kind of, you might, I'm not going to say definitely you're going to enjoy it. But some people really do find like, oh, I actually like expressing myself this way. And I can express myself this way in ways I can't other ways. That's so true because people have been using meditation to calm themselves and connect mm. and be more in the moment. And I imagine drawing has some of those similar similar attributes where you do have a connection with you are in the moment and you're connected with this piece of paper and you're focused on whatever the artistic yeah. expression you're trying to make is. Yeah. And you're right, people are disconnected to that. Can you tell us a little bit about the relationship between Everyone knows why reading is important because we think of you need to be able to read the book so you can answer the question so you can do the test. What would you say to that person who's bringing up those points? For Sorry, for reading and for drawing? So for drawing, what would the yeah. qualities, the benefits that you would see be? I think it is like what you're saying. It's a little bit of meditation. So meditation, one form of it is at least focusing attention on something for like an extended period of time. And your mind wanders, and your mind moves around. But really, it's it's allowing your meditation to go back to that place. And okay, so I'm going to focus here, focus here. So I'm controlling that meditation. I think additionally, though, it's creativity, power of like having some place to express yourself creatively and touch the force of like what that is inside of you. Like I get to make whatever lines I want. So I have to figure out what that is. And then at some point, I can I get to decide which ones I really like. Which ones do I really care about that mean something to me? And then I think, you know, one thing that's really stood out to me with through making this to what drawing did for me growing up was this thing called self-regulation, which is a part of emotional intelligence. So by by drawing, when I was growing up during difficult times, which is mostly when I drew, I would draw during school, I would draw during, during arguments, like family arguments, I would draw in like high stress periods, I would draw. And apparently, I was self-regulating. So I was helping my my emotional um, parts kind of like be focused and balanced. So that actually happens with drawing in a copia book too. Because you're drawing, you get to self-regulate. So that's a, a pretty powerful piece. I had, a, I had another thing I wanted to mention. I, I lost it for a sec. Okay. So yeah. what, I, what I really find interesting about this whole process is that you do have to be more connected with what's going on in a way that's different than reading because reading you're just relying on somebody else telling you the story and i think people struggle with thinking that they could write just mm -hmm. as much as they think they could draw yeah and so i think that that's really interesting that we've stumbled upon something where mindfulness and paying attention is so important and i also know a lot of people who the future is just a big question mark and that thing you said where it's you have to put the pen to paper, you have to commit to the lines you're going to draw. There's yeah. a lot of people who are like, something's going to happen to me in the future and there's going to be this thing and they're not willing to figure out how to move forward. You, yeah, you're talking about confidence almost, I think. Exactly. And it, having the confidence to commit to one line or the other. Yeah. Or yeah, being brave enough to say, I'm going to do this thing. But yeah, and even like when a situation arises, I can handle it because I I can make a decision and I can 
develop some confidence in my decision making. Exactly. Because that that's true. Like you're going to, when you start drawing or when you start doing anything, you're going to make mistakes. Like you're, you're going to mess up. And I think developing a tolerance for that, like uh, an understanding in yourself about like the mistakes you make. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Find more ways to fit, to like do that. Well, and the only way forward is to make a few mistakes along the way mm-hmm. because you're going to have to figure out where you're going to go. And yeah. I know a lot of people who have just never developed that ability to say, I'm going to take the right and whatever happens after that is going to happen. That's a fair point, actually, because that, that's that's true. A lot of a lot of people in and I feel like I've been there many times. It's like we're passive. We become like waiting like we're waiting. Yeah. <laughs> and we're reactive at that point. I think we're just reacting to the things happening rather than kind of like picking something and saying, uh, this is this is the thing I'm going to like rally behind or this is the direction I'm just going to commit to. And yeah, like you said, let the cards fall where they may. Yeah. I, those people, they, they can't seem to hear me when I tell them like, hey, you're going down this path and in six months you've bought a car that you hypothetically can't afford. And in yeah. six months, you're not going to make those payments anymore because you're not going to have the money. And for some reason, it's like, I'll deal with that when it comes. And it's like, how how am I telling you, warning you, and yeah. you still can't hear That's me? That's wisdom, though. You have the wisdom and you know they maybe haven't had those mistakes yet, right? They haven't taken, like, made enough mistakes to hear a reason and go like, interesting. Yeah. I'm going to digest that and maybe correct my course so yeah. I can avoid that. Exactly. Instead, they're going, whatever, I'll just do what I want and and really, without knowing it, maybe going headlong into it. Well, and I think that that's an arm of the whole happiness movement of believing that the best way forward is to do whatever makes you happy. And it's like that should be tied in with some sort of meaning and responsibility and role in the community. And so, like, I think with your role, you love drawing, but you're also finding a way to make that accessible to people, which is, I think, an arm of being an artist is to share yeah. that well it's true i mean like uh, people see my work and they go oh man you you love what you do you make pictures because that's what you love to do and it's like almost like almost i i sure i definitely love drawing you know i became a professional artist but it wasn't because i had some abnormal amount of love for it i actually love it as much as i ever have i would say it's what, what's probably more accurate is that i didn't love anything else more than drawing <laughs> So I wasn't willing to do anything else because there wasn't anything else that was as interesting to me. I got so many benefits from it and I still get benefits from it. Like I got to process my feelings. I got to process my life. I got to deal with my problems through drawing. It was always there for me. It was like during really unstable times and I had lots of them. I only had a couple things that were stable. One of them was my brother and one of them was drawing. And so drawing was there for me all through my the turmoil kind of of my youth, right? Moving around and like dealing with like traumatic events. It's like I could always count on this this thing to go to and stay there and play for a little bit. And it was like always there for me. And a lot of people that have been using it get similar experiences. I, I'm, I'm actually blown away at some of the stuff that comes in. We post it to our Instagram uh, a, a lot, which is some of the drawings that people are making. They're being way more creative with it than I thought. Um, you know, like kids will follow the lines, which is really great. Like they get to like develop some of their, their motor skills. And like, so Megan, my four-year-old, she went from like scribbling giant shapes, uh, to lines. It's like her brain, something clicked in her brain that you could draw lines. And, and so she really developed as an artist as well. Now she draws like creatures, animals. And it's like, she draws me (laughs) and Jetta. Um, 
Just such a trip. Anyway, I lost track. <laughs> no worries. Let's let's get right into uh, the family side of things again mm-hmm. and really go through that because sure. I think the dynamics you guys have and if anybody follows you on Facebook sees the passion you have also for family mm-hmm. and that is something I've really wanted to get into with a guest and really go through the family dynamics. Sure. So if we could talk about that. Sure. Happy to. Yeah. Well, I know I know I could, uh, for I could speak for Jenna a little bit, but you know, so Jenna and I have had similar experiences. So we were both in foster care. We both kind of were raised by different people. And so I think, you know, my family structure, like my dad wasn't part of my life. I got a stepdad at some point and that was like really beneficial to me. He was such a good guy. I unfortunately passed away from cancer when I was like, I think it was 10 or 11, maybe 12, but he was in my life for four years and that his family was really tight. I think they were Puerto Rican, half Puerto Rican, something like that. And we lived in Maryland on the East Coast of the States. So we were there and I had a really strong kind of like big family, actually. It wasn't just our small family. It was his mom and all her family and their extended family. And they have huge parties and like cookouts in the parks. So that was a great like time to experience what family life might be like. Otherwise, Andrew and I, my older brother, um, so we were in foster care for a number of years because there was some like uh, allegations of abuse. And then uh, we were actually like getting fought over in court, but who would have custody? My mom ended up getting it, but we got to experience different kinds of family in those different foster uh, homes. And then when we lived with my mom, it was similar. She moved us around a lot. Um, She struggled with different mental illnesses, physical ailments. So we ended up living with different family, like my, my Aunt Mary down in the States. And that was awesome. It was really really quite fun living living there and then we lived over in maryland which when you go from canada and you're saying like like hey can i have some poppy and then you go down to the states and they're like uh, you go over to maryland and they're like what's what's pop and you're like i don't know you drink it and to them it's soda and they're y'all this and y'all that and so we were there long enough that i got a i got a little country accent and we moved around a bunch like i said he passed away and uh, my stepfather we ended up moving back to sorry the west coast with my aunt and back and forth to Canada and whatnot. So I think my older brother and I, we kind of missed out on having that like traditional family. We were always like having these makeshift families or it was just dysfunctional. It was broken. Um, and I think the real benefit was like him and I got to stick together through all of it. So, and, and that's where my mom did a really brilliant thing. She said, uh, you know, she always wanted us to just be together wherever we were whether it was a foster home or whether it was with, you know, staying with this person or living with that those people. It's like, at least we're, we're together. And that really was good. It was good for us. That makes sense. And so it was it was brilliant. I think and at, at some point um, at, when we were older, I think I was a little bit older than you probably. I was like 26 or so. And uh, him and I are living together and we're like, I was like, you know, if you're staying here because cause he seemed kind of miserable, he seemed just a little bit like, uh, like we weren't having that much fun anymore. It was kind of stagnant. I was like, if you're staying here just f- to keep me safe, uh, don't worry about that. I think I'll be okay. And we moved uh, out from each other pretty soon after that. Um, and I think after at that point, I started living on my own. And and I think after maybe one or two roommates, um, I started living on my own. And then my makeshift families started happening, where you know you have some friends and. And those become like your kind of like your parents, like one of my best friends. She was like like a second mom to me. And, you know, other friends become your brothers and, and sisters or even grandparents. 
uh, you know, friends, parents become your your aunts and uncles and stuff. So that becomes very normal, especially after life of shifting around and and kind of looking to strangers as parents and stuff. Yeah, and just looking for a little bit of stability. I definitely yeah. know what you're talking about because growing up, I had lots of people come in and out of my life that were just kind of treated like a second mom and like yeah. everybody in the group kind of knew that we would go over to this person's house and they were like, they would make sure we were fed and we had snacks. That's awesome. Those types of relationships build over time. Yeah. And then you have a little bit more confidence going out into the world. It's important. I think, well, that, I think it's pretty natural in a way, like human tribes and, and getting adopted, you know, for one reason or the other, like you can adopt someone to be your grandmother that just needs family. Like it's not always about us too right like so yeah but i think that's brilliant and it's awesome that that happens because yeah it is those are important things um to have moving forward and and have that those kind of relationships at least built in with you a little bit yeah and it's just crazy to think about the ramifications because um i haven't talked about this yet but um my mother was adopted through the 60s scoop um Mm. i may have mentioned that part but what i don't mention is that my grandmother is one of my strongest role models because she was working at Kokalitsa Hospital as a nurse. Wow. And it was an only Indian hospital at the time. So that's why my mother was there. Yeah. And she was working with my mom and decided to bring her into her home. And she tried to adopt and that didn't work. So she took her in as a foster child and raised her. And obviously she grew up and then she ended up having me. And so I'm only here because of the decision she made and that has had implications for anyone who's listening to this podcast and yeah. the the effects are so far reaching when somebody is willing to lend a hand and help someone you don't know how far that level of generosity can go totally yeah well i think especially like if it happens to you like like you said like you have a bit of an understanding like so with roy my stepfather who passed away i think about that with megan all the time that i'm this little girl's dad i'm her version of what dad is and what it means um so yeah that's that's interesting that's awesome i'm really happy that you had that though yeah so let's get a little bit more into the current relationship of your dynamics with your partner and Mm -hmm. your child what does that look like now well right now you know jenna is is pregnant third trimester almost almost finished um you know we're gonna have uh supposedly a baby girl where we've been told and so her name's gonna be claire um, so we've been slowly getting Megan to understand, uh, the reality of that. And I still don't know how real that is to her. I keep telling her, I'm like, there's going to be a real baby here soon. It'll be real. <laughs> uh, but she like, you know, loves to kiss Jenna's tummy and, and say, you know, baby Claire. And, and she understands she's going to be the big sister and all that. Um, you know, and, and our challenge through the pandemic has just been, um, really, trying to give Megan as much attention, healthy attention as we can. Right. And, and really managing her in a way that's like beneficial, but it really sucks. It's like a really hard time because she was, she went to daycare and an awesome daycare really close to us. They shut down permanently and Megan doesn't get really have a lot of kid friends to be playing with. So that's actually really, really tough for us to see. So when we see her around other kids, um, she's brilliant. She's like super awesome. Well, and at least you'll have somebody coming and joining her permanently where uh, she'll yeah. have that partner. We're pretty happy with that. Yeah, they're going to be about four years apart, which maybe is or isn't ideal, but she's going to love being a big sister. I know that. 
that's the part I wanted to ask about is because I had Brett Cantella on. I don't know if you heard that one. I didn't. But he went through something similar where oh. he is now a stepfather and he came in when I think the child was really, really young. I think he was only a year old. And yeah. he took on that role. And he talked a lot about that experience. And I think it's so interesting and so... How, sorry, how old is his... Uh, his sorry, is it a daughter? Uh, son. And I believe three or four. Oh, okay. Something like that now. Yeah. And they're... It's just amazing to see yeah. people take on that role because it is such a responsibility. Yeah. And there's people at the bars avoiding it at all costs, it's just true. trying to make meaningless relationships that never commit. Yeah. And then you have other people who are taking on the responsibility and the role and the idea of what a father is. And they're going into it so careful. And so both of you talk about how careful and how responsible you were about it. Yeah. And that's so interesting. So can I get your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, yeah. So when you get into a relationship with a woman who has a child, uh, you're getting into two relationships. And and so to me, that was like I walked into that very carefully because I was very mindful of that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going to have a relationship with Jenna and that's great. And I know a lot of guys, they they'll go try to date someone with a child or a couple kids and it's like, they don't want anything to do with the kids. They, they, they're jealous of the, the mom's attention. And then there's that weird dynamic. It's like, you can't have that. That's wild. You can't, yeah, you can't think that way if you're going to date a, a, a single mom or whatever. You have to go into it uh, really realizing that you have to, like, kind of stand up and be um, ready to have a, a friendship with a child and a friendship with a woman or man or whatever. Um, and so... When I did that, that's exactly what I did. It was like I brought Megan a, a book. I brought her this little like Star Wars book. It was like a have little pictures of Star Wars characters made with um, uh, made with like knitting, and it was just cute. It's really silly, but it was just like it just has like a Star Wars picture, and it just says like fight. <laughs> so we would read that together, and Jenna tells me she's super impressed. That's when she was like kind of realized that maybe I'm I'm uh, half decent. Was I? brought Megan a little book and then so Megan and I started forming a bond and and it was really fun it was, it's such a trip to to meet a kid at that age when she can't really like formulate sentences she can communicate a little bit but a lot of it was like physical communication right and so like trying to demand a bit more of that from her was really fun actually I, I love the experience um, I can't wait to do it with Claire really uh, which will be my, my new baby. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, that one's going to be uh, new for me. So I haven't had a baby in my life. So um, I'm looking forward to bonding with Claire as well and moving forward, navigating the dynamic of having a four-year-old and a baby and giving them both healthy attention. Yeah. Um, but back to, I would say, the, the other thing. She's like, yeah, I don't understand necessarily the thinking of men who would rather – I suppose stay young or or not take on that responsibility or have those kind of relationships. I, I, I think there's fear involved. Of course, there's there's greed or selfishness or something involved. I don't think I've ever, uh, ever thought that way necessarily. I've just always wanted a family and I kind of idealized it ever since I was a kid. So I think it's been an ideal in my head and the different people I've been with, I've I've gauged it based on like that ideal. So when I met Jenna, um, you know, I went through some traumatic relationships. When I met Jenna, it was like, I felt 
comfortable with Jenna. I felt like myself. I felt like she accepts me for who I am. She loves me for who I am. We have so much fun together. And that's kind of what I knew. I was like, this woman is definitely like my partner. She is my other half. Yeah, that's that's another wild thing. And we should talk about it because I know a lot of people who do have subpar relationships with their partner and they do kind of level off and they say, well, I treated you really well the first five years or whatever it is. And then they stop doing the Sunflower Festival. They stop doing the walks. They stop doing the talks. And then the relationship starts to suffer. Yeah. And then it's all of a sudden like that's the standard. And that's the place you get to when you know that you've been together for a while. And I had people for like four years telling me I'm still in the honeymoon period. And it's like, okay, you're running out of time to make me believe that there is a honeymoon period that lasts that long. Right. Because we still do all of those things. And it's about keeping up with it. So could we talk a little bit about your relationship with you? Definitely. Well, you know, to that, like, I think I'd I'd have to theorize too. Sorry, I cracked my knuckles. Uh, But like, so I've been with her for two years. That's my longest relationship, I'd say, other than like regular, you know, friend relationships. Um, So yeah, I definitely have to theorize about stuff like that. But we're very mindful, I think, going forward of that kind of thing. Because, you know, you talk about the seven year hump and, and those kind of things. And I just try to stay grounded. I try to keep things like realistic i think we do um fall into patterns of comfort you know i do this this is what i like doing right now i'm comfortable there and i guess each of us do that we have to adapt to each other all the time i think what's important is is learning from each other and really being a partner to each other so like i'm i'm really here in jenna's life to support her and just be there through her growth Um, you know, she doesn't have to become something I need her to become necessarily. Like, I don't need her to, you know, do this, this, or this, but it's like, I know she's going through this because she's facing something new. So how can I figure out how to support her and accept where she's at? Um, and so we talk about that stuff. We, we try to be very open and just be very, um, I think very mindful of, of the experiences we're, we're both going through and allowing ourselves to change and be patient it's like all those fundamental virtuous things that we all have to work on, I think, are something that uh, Jen and I, we do try. And I think that's a big, important factor. I, you know, and I think some people, they do get, uh, they just get bored. Maybe you, you stop learning from your partner or maybe it just, you know, whatever that relationship is, um, was founded on something that wasn't, wasn't as, as healthy or as strong, or, you know, as they might have wished. Yeah, I think I see a lot of that happen when people are having important conversations Mm. and then one side just decides, I think probably usually males are that I'm right, you're wrong, you can't see you're wrong, so we're just going to move on Mm. and you're going to figure out how to catch up with me who is right. I think men have a bad tendency of just getting into that. Like once you've kind of figured out how the nail goes into the wall, you're good to go and anyone else who can't figure it out still is is too far behind. And then you start to build that in and that is that resentment of... That's an interesting point. I've heard it been said to me, so I'm totally paraphrasing whoever told me, but it was like that, that men might even lead a relationship right so they might be in like leading where that relationship goes so yeah if they're doing that thing like you said if they're like um i figured it out now you go figure it out on your own uh what kind of what are they leading their partner toward yeah exactly. so it's like yeah you have to like with it's the same with a child i think that's the thing you learn with it when you have a child you're like 
I can't be cruel. I can't. I'm going to hurt this kid permanently. I can't be um, obnoxious or or whatever. I, I can't do some things that maybe were a part of who I was. I just can't do it anymore because um, you see the ramifications of it pretty quickly. So I think it's like with Megan, I have to I have to lead her. Um, so I have to be an example for her. I have to lead by example. Um, and I think it's the same with our partners. I haven't heard that in a while. I do not hear people talking about leading by yeah. example anymore. If you uh, think of our politicians, nobody's worth like uh, bigger name politicians, not the local ones. Yeah. But more popular people are not known for leading by example. I don't think you can say that about any of the nominees for president in the it's states so confusing uh, it's such a mess down there <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's very true I, but it is the best way to lead i think exactly yeah. and it's, i think yeah just just show me how to do it and I'll, I'll do it well and i think one theme that you've kind of shown is through the drawing book and through your relationship uh with megan is that a lot of you has to disappear and you have to let go of a lot of the things that you are in your day if you want things to get better mm-hmm. you have to admit to yourself well, I say I'm not a drawing person, but I could pick up the book and I could get started tomorrow. Yeah. And there's no excuse as to you physically can't do it. And when you have a child, you can still bring that mindset of there are parts of me that are going to infuriate this child and I should stop doing those things. Yeah. And you have to let go of that part of yourself. And I think that that's a humble part to just try and keep in your everyday life. Yeah, well, it's, it's like you were saying before, I can I can make a change in my life and commit to it. If I see I'm doing something wrong, I need to correct course. Uh, find some humility. Like, be humble enough to change course and say, I'm sorry. I was the one that messed up. Not you. I was doing something wrong there by getting way too angry or by just treating you poorly. I didn't think about it. Now I know better. So then you make amends and, and that kind of a thing. Yeah, it's crazy to think how often we'll be like driving the car and then saying you're going to like the lake and then you end up at your office or you Mm. took the wrong road because you were heading towards your office and you go, oh yeah, like I just kind of zoned out there. How often are we doing that when we're making our coffee, doing our toast, whatever it is? Exactly. And we're not good at taking responsibility and being like, hey, I was just, I was just making my bagel and I wasn't thinking like, I didn't mean the thing I said under my breath. I was just being an idiot. Like I wasn't paying attention. I think I do it the most with paying attention to people. And I think that's what that is. That's like, being mindful in the moment. Yeah. That's all it is. Like someone will be explaining something to me because I'm being selfish and I'm I'm deciding something that I'm thinking is more valuable than like the person in front of me. Then I sometimes have to stop myself and just be like, sorry, I was so out of left field. I, I am paying attention now. Can you repeat yourself? And it's uh I think I think yeah, so this this book certainly is helpful for that, but I, you know, I'm certainly not saying that Copy is the only way to be mindful either. And I think people should try other things to be mindful. Um, but hopefully they try this. And I, and I would say too, cost-wise, the book is like our premium item, but we do, we make like individual pages as well. Yeah. And we do try to offer some freebies so that we can just get people drawing. Because the thing that's exciting to me, like when I'm designing a page and then I'm, I'm converting it so it can, it can be like a copiographic page, um, so other people are going to draw it and they get to have the same experience as I have. So draw some silly characters, experience these different uh, expressions that those characters make. Yeah, experience different places and different like interactions of shapes. Right. Because it's this is something where people don't have to follow whatever the guideline is or mm-hmm. write 
because there is a certain way of you're supposed to write. And I'm sure there's a way you're supposed to draw. But when you get to do different things and you get to have a different relationship, it's South Park that has characters where they just kill them off yeah. just randomly and in random moments because we have a different relationship with that than we do with like a main character Avengers person yeah. who you really recognize and you know you're okay with that character dying or this person saying that off-color thing. Yeah. And so what what are you looking for when you're making a book? Because they're very nice, but what are you thinking of? What's in your mind? So when I whenever I draw a page, I'm just having fun for the most part. I'm come up with I'm coming up with characters that I think are really interesting, expressive, and a lot of it is composition. So where the background elements are arranged and you know kind of opposed to the the characters or the foreground kind of uh, parts. So I, I think that's another benefit actually of the book is you get to have experiences you wouldn't have if you just started drawing. You know, like, um, and I know this is a little bit off question there, but like if when I started drawing, I would only draw characters or I'd only draw heads, you know. It took me a long time to like realize like I, should, I need to draw backgrounds to these things. And so when you draw one of my pages, you end up having to have that experience. Well, and that imagination because some of the things I'm sure that are in the book aren't things that you think of just when you're walking down the road. You're used to yeah. seeing the same 10 things. Yeah, I think think there's a few things we could go into too with the book because uh, it's definitely special in, in different ways. So one is that we, we've identified is called shape familiarity. So when you start drawing, you have to kind of draw familiar shapes like a circle, right? So you have, not only do you have to like experience drawing that and what that feels like, but also you start to realize when you start looking around the world, which which happens when you start drawing, you start seeing shapes everywhere. You start going, oh, there's circles everywhere. So a circle is once you know how to draw a circle, uh, you start to know how to draw lots of, or you have like a piece of that puzzle. And so the the shape familiarity thing is pretty important, actually, because then you have like sharp angles and curves and and so that kind of thing. And you start to learn how you can build, I think, shapes. What was the other one? I've, I've lost track already. Okay, that's wild, though, because Rebecca and I do that a lot, where we'll be walking and we'll try and just stop for a second and try and imagine having to be in the position of drawing it. Oh, or, Because you'll see like a beautiful landscape. Yeah. And most people's thought is not, I need to draw that. And it's definitely not mine. But putting it to your mind of how many different colors are there? How many different things that are just minuscule that you don't notice? Yeah. Um, and then imagining trying to draw it, it's like, I never thought of trying to draw the thing that people blow on and then um, it blows everywhere. I don't know how I would draw that. But seeing yeah. it, you kind of go, well, that would be something someone would be able to draw if they were to draw this. Definitely. Well, and you're touching on, you're like, you're you're realizing there's probably fundamentals, probably. But it's like you look at a master, a master's painting, right? Even myself, I have artists that I love. I don't know how they do it. Like I, it, but but they're doing it on. They're doing things on levels that I I haven't touched on. Like I don't understand it. Maybe I could, and that's that's how it's been for me always moving forward. Was like I have to find the next thing that's beyond me and try to like glean little secrets that are in there and pull them out, extract them, and use them in my own work. But like the basic fundamentals to look at it at a at a scene that you were, you have like lines, you have form, you have lighting. Uh, you have shadows, you have like lines, you have uh, edges, what line quality is one of them. Uh, you have negative space and pattern. And these are like fundamentals. So if you start to look at these as like tools, like a big tool set, then you can start to actually depict things. Um, but you got to start somewhere. And yeah, you have to like kind of build up that interest or those, those tools, those little sets of tools. I, I remember one thing I did want to talk about too with the book was not only with shape familiarity, but I also build in icons. 
which is similar to what I, I was just talking about. So like an eye, you could say, has this like shape like this. It come, has two points on the end and, and two curves, right? Curve on top, curve on the bottom, circle in the center. That curve with two points on the end, it's the same as a leaf, right? So that shape applies in lots of interesting areas. Like that's how I would draw like an ear on a deer, which is the first page of the book. So that's one thing, but there's also iconic shapes, which then I would get into like the library of shapes that you would, you might be able to build up yeah. if you're interested. Yeah. So like a cactus shape, right? Right. Do you, you might know what that looks like, but it's a basic kind of cartoon shape, you could say. It has like the circle pillar and then the two kind of arms in each other. So you draw those however you want. You just have to have that kind of formula. And that's a that's an icon. So you can do different icons like that, like a bubble, for instance, like a, a soap bubble. It's a circle with like another highlight in it. So a little white dot in it. That's all a bubble really needs to be. Yeah. To be to, for you to understand it's a bubble. Glasses are that way. It's like, you know, this line, these two squares and arms. Yeah. So I, I think about that stuff when I'm building books. I think but those fundamentals I try to I try to provide so much opportunity with those pages. And I think that's that's really what I'm doing is I'm providing opportunity. I'm giving you a basic guide. So you go in there and I can put lines down and I can explore these different things and hopefully have uh, realizations. And uh, I, uh, my hope is that it, it, it's education through immersion. So like it's education through doing it, not through study, which is how I had. I had to learn by drawing poorly and then trying to learn a trick here and there. And over time, getting so many of those that I started developing an understanding. Right. So we talked about mindfulness for the book, but what mm -hmm. other benefits have you come across? Because it seems like this would really help people grapple with um, stress. It could could be useful for a lot of things. I think that's the self-regulation thing. So self-regulation, it's a piece of um, emotional intelligence. So some people have really low emotional intelligence and they don't like understand themselves because of it. So I think if, if you're someone who maybe just can't handle stress or struggles with your emotions, then it's probably a real benefit to sit down and have something that you can, that can regulate your, yourself with. So that's when your emotions are flying around. And, and so then you start drawing and it doesn't seem to connect. Like there's no, it doesn't, when I say it, I guess it doesn't sound like there's some direct connection, but when you're drawing, you're expressing yourself. So you're expressing emotions. You're navigating with a pencil, like, and you're trying to move around, but your feelings aren't stopping. So you're not, you're stopping. like, whenever I did as a kid, I'd be full of emotion and just drawing. I would draw angry things if I was angry. I would draw sad things if I was sad. I would like, so I was expressing the things I was feeling and I use it often like a journal. So I think that's, that's a big part of it is that's probably one of the biggest. Yeah, that makes sense because you are just in that moment and it doesn't sound like it's a bottle cap where you cut off the emotions and you move on and you yeah. deal with it and you just get away from it. It's like, a, how do I develop a relationship with this emotion and understand what it's trying to do and what its motives are and have more of a dialogue very, with yourself? Very well put. I, I totally agree. You know, you don't want to run away from those things. That's like the worst thing you can do. That's that's like what addictions really are. That's what a lot of that stuff is. is I want to get away from this because it's painful. It's like, no, you want to run toward it, actually. You want to sit with it and feel it and be okay with it being there. 
Well, and you become a different person because if you're the person who runs away from things, yeah. you're a person who's af- afraid of things and you're not the person who's brave. You're not the person who's courageous. Touché. And I think that happens a lot in trusting relationships because you could tell Megan, like, well, why do you trust someone if someone can betray you? And mm. it's like you're having the courage to trust them despite the fact you know that they could. Yeah. That's courageous. And it's naive to think that everyone's just trustworthy, reliable people and we'll yeah. just be fine. That's naive. Yeah, be mindful of their potential to do right or wrong and give them a certain amount of of that trust. But I, I totally agree. That's a very good point. Yeah, that care approach is what comes back to mind. That like people go downstairs when they react. So if I'm reacting, I want to run, fight or flight. So I can stand and fight, but I'm just fighting based on my reaction or I'm running based on my reaction. So where's that other one? And I, I, think, um, I think feeling safe, is important. Those stairs going up, that's pretty important. And perhaps that's part of what self-regulation really provides is safe. And then love, that's kind of self-love is taking time to express yourself and value something you're doing. You're loving what you're doing. You're loving yourself enough to give yourself the space anyway. So I think that's partly where that that comes in. And then you can get to your higher brain. And now, yeah, maybe you're not like uh, running around and, and just reacting, but you're you're sitting with it and processing things a little bit. And you're you're available now, like your, your mentality is available. So that maybe that that function, that internal kind of structure is built. And so even without drawing, maybe you have the ability to self-regulate a little more. Yeah. Which is probably something people uh, don't develop as much as is because we do live in like an instant gratification culture. Like I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. I love to play uh, video games. I have like one game I play, but I love to play it when I'm like I need to self regulate. Yeah. But a lot of it is like um, uh, you know instant gratification. You know, it's I process things way better when I draw. Like I, I've gone through periods where I just haven't done much art other than like my commercial freelance art. But when I and, and so that'll be a rough time. But when I get back to drawing, like personally for fun, like life just gets better. I just improve. I think because I'm processing my emotions better. I'm processing my thinking and my feelings better. Wow, that is so interesting. And it kind of leads into one of my questions and a topic I wanted to get into, Hmm. which is flow states. Oh, interesting. Because that is something that artists interact with way more than normal people. People get that when they're running. And it's, it's a real thing. And I was listening to... Stephen Kettle, um, author, director of Research Flow uh, Genome Project. Yeah. Genome Project, sorry. And I was trying to get a better understanding of how artists work within their flow states. Mm. And one interesting thing that arises is that once you train your your ability to draw to a certain extent, then you're just doing it automatically and totally. you're, you're taking less resp- and you're just kind of watching yourself do it so i thought i'd get your thoughts on that oh yeah i'd love to talk about it <laughs> i that's totally true i don't think about it often i think i think i just i just do it but you know so uh, i think i trained myself uh without realizing it growing up to draw uh, and watch movies or watch tv so I actually draw the most and do the most artwork but I, uh, when I'm doing that because I have to kind of distract part of my brain and then allow my other part to just kind of like flow, like you said. But I can't do it when I have to design. When I have to design like this, like a scene, like if I have to draw a picture, um, I'm making very conscious choices that are like composition um, or style or like feeling. So I have to be like in touch with that. And then when I get into like, like let's say I have a drawing, like a design, but now I'm going to paint it. 
uh, I might not need to do that. I might just need to be in a flow state, like you said, and watch the paint and colors and, and everything form because it's more like a like a rendering um, that has to happen. So I'll watch something and I'll just like kind of half pay attention to that and watch and like also watch myself create form, focus on lighting. I, I'm still making conscious choices when I'm doing it, but it's more um, it's more just flowing out of me, I suppose. Yeah. Well, and that's so true because what this person was saying mm. was that you can't be conscious and focused on it yeah. in order to get to that place because that is your prefrontal cortex. And he had a very specific word, exercise-induced transient hypofrontality, which was the really? word he used to explain what you do, af- what people should do after they've done their work and they've put in a good day yeah. is to go get some exercise after because that oh. will refuel your ability to go back to that flow state after. I might have to like uh, think about that one or, or uh, try that, I think. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, because I'll, I'll do that. I'll work for, I usually work for uh, hour blocks. I can sit down and I can I can do a lot of work for like one hour. Then I do need a break. And that's probably what that is. Like I could sit in a flow state for a while. And then uh, it's, like, oh, it's like it's all used up and I have to go away. Oh, so exercise recharges it. Eh? That's really interesting. Yeah, and I experienced that a lot because if I could do this podcast walking, it would probably be so much better on terms of my content and ability to remember things. Yeah. Because when Rebecca and I are on walks, I'm bringing up scientists this and this person said this, and I have all the names no memorized. That's a good point. Yeah, Einstein came up with the I think the theory of relativity. Relativity is that it, or equals mc squared? One of those things he came yeah. up with on a walk with yeah. his buddy. Yeah. It just like occurred to him and he ran away and wrote it down. There was another scientist who would have a bowling ball or something in his lap. A very, very famous scientist. I'm just not smart enough to remember his name. But he would sit and he would balance and like let him go into like a sleeping state. Mm. And when the bowling ball fell, he would wake up and write down whatever he was thinking of in that moment. That's pretty neat. And so that's why I thought I'd talk about flow states is because it's so interesting how people find their way there. I know that when I'm writing a paper, when I'm doing the research, it's completely focused. But when I'm trying to come up with how to put things together and ideas, that's when I need suits on in the background or some sort of distraction to take Mm. charge of that part of my brain. Yeah, I know you mentioned uh, to me before the podcast to watch that documentary. Yes. I looked for it on Netflix. It's not on there. So I know. I'll have, to, I... I'll have to find it. But I, I did watch a guy reviewing it. And it sounds really great. Yeah, the creative brain was what I was mentioning too. And yeah, he goes through different circumstances in which creativity exists. Hmm. And that creativity really does just come down to putting two different ideas together, like you said at the beginning, and figuring out how to make them work together in an elegant way is creativity. But often people say we're not creative or we say everybody's creative. And that's not always the case either. Some some people are hyper creative. And that's when you see really big artistic names. So could we talk a little bit about who your favorite artists are? Oh, definitely. You know, there was a point when I had no favorite artists. Um, and I, and the only reason was because I hadn't identified them. I didn't know I should. Um, I was just like liking everything and, and saving everything. And at some point it was like, it, I think I heard it somewhere. Someone said it that it's, it's important to identify them. And I was like, well, who would they be? So I definitely have a few that are my absolute favorites. Uh, I'll just start where I started realizing who they might be. You know, and the first one was Michelangelo. Uh, that was like one of the fir- well, I shouldn't say Michelangelo. The first one was actually, I think his name is Greg Capella, and he was the inker for um, Spawn Comics when I was a kid. So he was the guy doing all the little detailed uh, inked line work in those comics, and that's what really like got me interested in art because his his lines were so good, and they're still 
They're unbelievably good still. I still don't get how he has so much style in his lines. And he's, he's amazing. And anyway, he, he the detail, I would take a comic sheet uh, and I would put a piece of paper next to it and I would draw every single detail that I could. I, I would like, and I had ADD as a kid. Uh, I'm pretty sure I still have uh, some form of it, but it like really helped me focus. It was like all of a sudden I sat down and I was just like hyper-focusing on this thing. And probably, yeah, with my flow state, like just really like, like u- utilizing it. So he's one artist that really, really drove me. And then eventually I discovered like Michelangelo was one. Well, what was it about them too? So Michelangelo, the thing with him was it's his form. So his ability to draw humans in these really attractive ways. But I don't know, he drew really powerful looking characters. And there's something about his 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 paintings that just really were really profound. I think partly it was because he was like part of the whole Renaissance thing. I don't even know if that's true, but I know he, he like he painted the Sistine Chapel and he did it with like the worst kind of paints possible. But he was a, he was actually a really wealthy artist. But in the end, it's his it's his ability to draw humans really well. So after that, I think it was Alex Ross, I would say, and he's a comic book artist. But they call him the Michelangelo of comic book artists because he he does like watercolor paintings or gouache paintings. He does mostly cover art. But they're like they're breathtaking, and so he draws. Uh, he he does it all. He, he paints every character you can think of, and but his passion for it's awesome. But his ability to render with watercolor is just unbelievable. So there's aspects of like style, but probably um, at the core, it's like just resonates with me, and it's hard to identify. But if but by viewing their work, it starts to come into my work, and. I think my work became so much stronger. My my other two, sorry, other three. So Norman Rockwell, he was one that, and you might have seen, you probably have seen Norman Rockwell paintings. He was like back in the 1920s doing Saturday evening posts. I have a couple of those old magazines, but it was like he rendered America really the way they saw themselves. So he has these like iconic paintings, uh, but they're realistic, just super well illustrated. They tell a story, like it'll be like one scene with, you know, uh, a policeman giving like a little boy a ticket and a soapbox soapbox car. It's just this little like eloquent, funny little scene, but just depicted really well. And also his inspiration, and they worked at the same time, is JC Leindecker. He's less known, but absolutely probably my favorite artist. I I, uh, I have one that contends with him, but his artwork is what I would love to be able to do. It's it's so good. <laughs> I can't even put it into words because I still look at it. And I'm like, I think it's just his ability to feel and render at the same time. So he feels uh, everything deeper, I think. So he depicts it with feeling. And that's really what style kind of comes down to, I think, is is it's something like that. The last one I'll mention, because I know I'm just kind of like throwing names at you, is uh, Drew Struzan. So he does, he's the most famous poster artist like in the world and he did everything from like back to the future to indiana jones and star wars and harry potter he did the first harry potter one and he's just an unbelievable i like artist i like that because it really wakes people up to the fact that they're interacting with this art yeah. that because like even committing to doing this podcast you think that art is outside of the realm and mm. when i started doing research it was like art is right beyond what i know when i look at the poster when i look at the back to the future poster yeah it's right there and you don't connect with it and you're like that's a great poster you don't think of who and how it got there and the background and you're able to see that way more than the rest of us because you're paying attention yeah i think people feel it 
Like I used to have a friend uh, who I'd hang out with, and he would be like, he would see some graphic design thing because I'm a graphic designer by trade, and he would uh, he would say, "Listen, I know that's bad. Like I can tell, I can feel like that's bad, but why?" So I could sit there and break down exactly why what he's seeing doesn't feel good to him, and that's that's exactly right. It's like you can you can tell, like you know, when someone draws a person uh, kind of poorly, not to judge them, but when they do it inaccurately. Um, or in, let's say, a way that's like um, feels bad, like maybe they're just like a, a nasty character or something. But there's reasons for it. There's a reason. Like, so we're so used to people, for instance, that uh, if you draw, if you get anything kind of wrong with a person, like you know, you don't have to be an artist to know that. Um, so yeah, th- there's like there's that kind of a thing. But you're right. I think uh, people do wander around and they don't necessarily pay attention to the art of things. And that's that's what's wild as an illustrator. Is you, you pay attention to everything. I, I feel like I, I couldn't ever tell if being an artist is what made me sensitive or being sensitive is what made me an artist. I still don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Because I walk around and I'm like, I look, I'm looking at lighting. I'm looking at your cloth texture. I'm looking at the material of it and how the light bounces off of it. How does the shadow like interact with that? Does it give off like that one's red? That uh, curtains are kind of red? Do they give off red light? Is anything around them kind of red? I'm looking at like the light interactions because that, that's actually my interest nowadays is light and uh, how it interacts with materials and form and how that creates mood. <laughs> so it's deep. It's a lot of deep stuff, but it's absolutely fun. Well, yeah. I think that's important for people to start to adopt into their own life because that's so common where people will miss out on the beauty of the world and travel all the way to Paris to see the Eiffel Tower and not realize that we have beautiful mountains right here that you have not explored at all and don't even know the name of. I can't tell you how many people will be like, I wonder what the mountain's called. And I'm like, it's Maguire. It's Maguire Mountain. It's right there. It's it's like three blocks from you. Like, we need to I I do feel like like a hundred years ago or probably even this like 40 years ago, everyone would have known that around here. Exactly, because they wouldn't have been able to get around. And we're we're like, we're hypersaturated with way more. So like we not only have the news, but we have like world news. We have like events going like going on in our phones constantly that have nothing to do with like Chilliwack or Abbotsford or whatever. The lower mainland. That's why I started this is because it was Mm. crazy to me how disconnected people were from like, oh, do you know the professor at the university? No. Do you yeah. know, do you know this person down the block? No, and it's like I think it's I think it's brilliant. Like I, I do listen to some podcasts, and the amount of knowledge everyone's carrying around with them, um, based on their experiences and the things they they've been interested in or the things that have been forced upon them, it's profound. I think I think it's pretty awesome. I agree, and I think that it's important to make sure that there's always a diverse. A group of people coming on because yeah. I have, and I mean diverse as in d- diversity of ideas, because I think it's important to hear from people with wild amounts of education. Like Zena Lee had a PhD and a postdoctorate, a lot of education. Wow. And, and I understand that some people aren't going to resonate with that. That's going to be way too intimidating. Somebody who doesn't see themselves as going to university or a small business owner, they're just never going to connect with that idea. So we need to get people who have the artistic side, who have different backgrounds to make sure that there is a role model for each type of person. And I know artists out there who could feel completely alone and they sit down by themselves and try and work it out on a piece of paper. And it's like, we need to connect them with a community. I I totally agree. I, I, I do get a chance to talk to like newer artists or young artists sometimes and it's fascinating because yeah it's it's funny enough it's hard to connect you know when i was growing up like i said people kind of dropped off drawing 
So I kind of became the artist, but it was only because everyone stopped being the artist. So you kind of find yourself kind of alone anyway. And then that's where it, I mean, the go back to the book, it was like, it bothers me that drawing is regulated, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, regulated to the artists. Like that's, that really shouldn't be just the case, I think. So I had like in high school, I had like two friends that were artists. We were in advanced placement art together. And that was it. That was, that was my art. Wow. That was my whole circle. And if I wanted anything else, I went on the internet. I did. I definitely developed my art skills through the internet. Um, you know, like building modified like modified games or like just art projects, but always with the mindset to try to improve. But yeah, expanding that circle, I had to do it through the internet. I, and I, to this day, I probably, I still wish I had like an art friend I could hang out with and talk uh, with things about. And I just don't. It's funny how it just doesn't seem to happen. That's wild. That seems like perfect for a Facebook group where you can all yeah. be focused on one thing. It's an interesting artist uh, I found to be very interesting. They're very nice, very sensitive, and very kind when it comes to like you expressing yourself and sharing your artwork. Uh, it's rare to find an artist I feel like that's really judgmental and like will shoot you down. Which is weird because that's what we think of when I've watched movies is always yeah. the high-end people picking out the most expensive piece of art in the room. Well, in that case, that might be true. That's that is the uh, that's the world of fine art, right? Big money and big big uh, snobbishness, maybe. When it comes to like doing stuff, like like doing copia page, some people are afraid to show me what they draw because they know I think inherently I'm gonna see. I, I don't know how to say it politely. I guess the maybe where it doesn't measure up to like hitting the marks of fundamentals, maybe. But I'm not even, uh, I really don't feel that way. I feel like I love to see people's expressions. Like, okay. I want to see your drawing. Not because I know you're, like, not going to be the greatest artist in the world and understand everything I understand. Because you're you. And you're going to express yourself in the only way, uh, uh, like, uh, as only you can. So, I think that's what's, like, fascinating about art. I draw me. When I draw people, I tend to draw the things I, I'm familiar with. Most of that is me. So everyone would always look through my sketchbooks and be like, this is you. I'm like, that's not me. I didn't draw me. They'd be like, no, that, that looks a lot like you. And I'd be like, oh. So I started realizing that's what people draw. They draw themselves in one way or the other. Um, so I always encourage people to draw. And I think that's part of my motivation was like, okay, I do want people to draw. This is, it's a bit of a gamble, I feel like, because I'm like, are people going to be brave enough to like, like we were talking about earlier, go against their identity and like find this part of themselves? Yeah. And realize all I got to do is move this pencil and face the things that come up. That's so wild, though, about people being ashamed to put their drawing out there. And I, I completely get it. If you had me drawing something, I would be like, let's not show anyone yeah. on the podcast my first drawing. But that is that sense of you are going to see through all of their inadequacies. And I think that's where a lot of academics start to struggle is because for a lot of them, it becomes this mindset of I'm so smart, mm. I cannot spend time with the person on the downtown east side because I'm so smart. Mm. And that's the wrong outlook. And yeah. we, we can't do that with people. So you shouldn't do that with drawings. It's that it's not going to be good. It's going to be tough. And you're not sitting there going, I'm going to mark it over like a teacher and check mark. You did this line properly. You did this. Mm -hmm. It's not about that. So there's, yeah. And then you can talk about criticism and feedback, which are two different things. You know, I feel like I have to, I have to be mindful of this stuff with, with Megan, you know, my four-year-old, because she's, she doesn't do anything like an adult, right? She's like a little girl just trying to figure out the basics. 
she's trying to figure out how to climb a tree or like uh, move her body or or say a, a sentence that makes sense sometimes. And it's just like you have to be very mindful and just be like, yes, it's hard. It is. And it's hard to learn how to do it. That's an important distinction for people as well, because there's lots of people who will just kind of say their thought and it's kind of in a like, that's not good enough kind of way. And mm. it, it does mess with the person because they'll put one idea out there of like, oh, like you could really improve this. And then you're like, oh, like so nothing else was good. And then they're like, yeah. well, I was just trying to help you. And take it personal. Exactly. Yeah. Because you want a more holistic understanding. If somebody's going to criticize the podcast, I want to hear what am I doing right? What do I need to continue? And what do I need to start to get rid of? Well, and humility. Yeah. That, that's what's required. Yeah. I think it's required so much more than people give it maybe credit for. Like, allow yourself to be bad, to not be good at things. Yeah. Like, be humble enough to be okay with not being the best at everything in your life. Yeah. And find the people that are way better than you that you can learn from. Yeah. Like, if you want to be successful, do that. That one thing. Successful people in whatever area they're successful in are happy to share that with you. That, that's been my experience. I absolutely agree. You want to start a small business? Find someone with a small business and, and ask them questions. Say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing at all in my life. Uh, I don't know how to do this whatsoever. What do, what do you think I should do? What did you do? And so that's why I think the podcast is awesome. You yeah. get to you get to ask those questions yeah, and re- kind of represent that. Exactly. I think one big thing is that adult coloring books have come about and they've kind mm. of exploded a little bit. And so what I'll say about those is it's really interesting because I've met a lot of people who looked at them like, why is that adult coloring over there? Like, oh, what, yeah. they're, they're a grown up. Let's go go to your job, go make your money and pay <laughs> yeah, your taxes. Stop coloring books. Yeah, yeah, yeah stop it. Yeah. And so what, what are your thoughts on those types of people? Because they are very confined individuals i mean i got i got no problem if they don't if they don't want to participate in in something that is creative and fun that is their business that's the follow follow your compass you know but i feel like it there is a because some people are naturally closed off like that's that is natural their openness level on like the big five personality they're they're not very open so their creativity is low but i say challenge that like you know those big five things they're not like Set in stone. 100% set in stone. Yeah, you're meant to kind of challenge that. Like if you're aware, like, sorry, what is it? It's a, If your agreeableness, for instance, is so high that you're like a super codependent person, maybe go against that grain a little bit and start being uh, less agreeable. Just a little bit. It feels bad. It's not fun, but try that. And I think it's the same with that kind of a thing. But I mean, to say it more practically, yeah, sometimes people need to unwind. And you can do that many, many different ways. You can, I mean, shoot, you can do that by going and working more, I guess, sometimes. But some people can't do that. Some people exercise. Some people don't. So I think there's just very different ways that people can do it. And and yeah, drawing, coloring, they seem childish, but they're childlike, which is different. Childish is, is one thing. Childlike is different. You know, Picasso, he said, and I think I quoted it in the book, that the artist is the child that survived. So be creative. Like if you, if like with Megan, to play with Megan is to act like a child. Is, should I not do that? Should I just go to work? No, I should probably just pretend to be a kid and allow myself to be silly and, and have some fun. And that's probably the same with drawing. Like allow yourself to be a little bit silly, have a little bit of fun, and then do some work. That's okay. Yeah. I think that that's really interesting because there's a lot of ways people cope in their day-to-days that are probably less than healthy. I know lots of people drink wine at the end of their tough day, and that's fine. I'm not against the wine industry, but there is other things that we can do, and we should 
kind of lay them out like different options we have, which is go take a dance class, drink your wine if that's what you want to do. You can go and smoke. You can do the thing that interests you. You can draw. You can color. You can do different things to unwind at the end of your day. Yeah. But know that there are lots of options. There isn't just yeah. one option. And probably you should try some other options too. Yeah. yeah like yeah, if, Maybe if you haven't tried drinking wine, maybe you could try that. <laughs> yeah. And do it while you're coloring. I'm sure yeah. that that's... Well, people love to do like those painting classes where it's like paint and drink wine. Yeah. I, I think those are fun. You know, yeah, I think I think this kind of a drawing style might be really perfect for something like that too. Yeah. Because usually they're drawing the same same thing and, and whatnot. But I think all of it in the end is is learning about a part of yourself. Like having some leisure time is is one thing. And a lot of people love to just do nothing. Like I want to do nothing. And sure, that ha- that has a place. But meditation that's a powerful like tool in our arsenal, you know, of like tools, the, the power of meditation, um, it improves life. And all it is, is like taking space. Like the way I look at meditation is focusing attention on one thing and keeping it there and your mind will take you away. So you bring it back. You go, I'm supposed to be paying attention to this thing. So I think if you can find something to do that, you're just going to be more at peace. And I think that's what downtime really is. Like, you know, people will think like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take a break. So I'm going to go watch like the movie speed. Or like, uh, you know, some high adrenaline movie. It's like you're not resting when you're watching the movie Speed. You're yeah. like you're doing work, believe it or not. Yeah, I I agree with that, especially with a lot of movies. I've just been trying to look at the archetypes of movies mm-hmm. and what the what the overarching theme of the movie is. Yeah. And you just cannot get away from the original stories are all throughout all of the movies we consume. And then I was I've been saying for a long time, like I'm not religious. I'm not religious. And then. I've been listening to a biblical series and they talk about the two Cain and Abel, the two brothers. Yeah. And then you see that in the Avengers and you see that in Harry Potter and you see these so true. two disagreeable people who are like brothers. And and then I say I'm not religious and it's like, am I allowed to say that if I know that the underlying thing has a religious substructure? I, I think you could. Believe it or not, I think you could. Because I, 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 I don't know how to put it. I think I think religious to me is probably more like practicing some specific rituals i i I, that's what i suspect it is okay yeah so i don't mean that but archetypes they're just fundamental parts of of humans right like the hero archetype yeah that's part of us and that's what a lot of the stories we're seeing are they're the hero's journey exactly i think that that story has that because it has that relationship with who we are yeah that it brings it elicits like a religious response from us i'm not saying that I'm not talking really about churches and stuff like that. I'm talking about that religious feeling of oh. you, are, you are completely focused. When people are watching Harry Potter, they're completely focused. When they're reading the books that are like some ridiculous amount of pages long. Yeah, I, 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 th- I see what you're saying. Yes, I would say yes, yes. then. Because yeah. I, I feel that way about some some things. Like I was, you could say religious about Back to the Future. Yes. Or nowadays I'm into like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I. It's funny, but I am not much of a reader. Yeah. It, it's just I find it so difficult to read lo- uh, at length, but I'll listen at length. So I've been listening to a lot of uh, Lord of the Rings uh, YouTube videos. So explaining all the mythology, all of like even about J.R.R. Tolkien and his history of, as an author. But uh, listening to the Cimmerillion, which is like the his his ultimate history of like Middle Earth and all that. It's awesome, awesome, like deep archetypal stuff. And yeah, that's all like reflects in us. Yeah, you know, uh, Jared Tolkien was deeply Catholic, but he he put a lot of the, what those like archetypes are, those base ideas, 
into that book. So was Stan Lee and J.K. Rowling. I don't think they were committed to a specific religion, but I think that they had that relationship with the archetypes of Cain and Abel, and they had those yeah. understandings, and then they brought that to life, and then everybody was watching it and saying, I'm done with religion, and it's like, I don't and, know. And you can find that in yourself all the time, right? Like, all, like those archetypes, they're a part of us. So, yeah, I suspect a lot of uh, those people that that's what they're doing. They're expressing who they are and, like, what 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 parts of themselves they know. And it, it's the same with, like, my art. Like, I can only express who I am and what I know, like, and my understanding. Like, that's it. That's all I can express. That's such a unique thing because it is, like, thinking about it, it's you're never copying somebody else and just verbatim doing another person's artwork and just yeah. tracing. You're trying to come up with your story, your version, what your characters look like yeah. and that's that's like dreaming to me because i don't do that it's so true i, I guess one of the things that trips me out about the the drawings i see people doing with with my pages uh they turn them into like different artwork and i it's it's i think it's awesome because i draw them differently i i really do like when i put pen to paper or when i draw my choreographic pages i i come up with real different results that are just they're mine they're, they're what i like and even I like to draw them, which is funny. Yeah. But yeah. Okay, so let's get into the book itself and how it works and how it's structured and what your sure. audience is. Okay, yeah, we're we're learning about our audience as we move forward. I, I'll talk about the book first because we kind of went into it kind of guns blazing. and I was like, I want to build like the ultimate version of this book. Um, so it is simple. The concept's simple, right? It's like a reverse coloring book. You could call it that. But it is the reverse of a coloring book, right? So um, so I was like, what would that look like? And I want people to have the relationship with the book. Like, So we have other drawing pages you can, you can download. But the book itself is meant to be like a sketchbook. It's meant to feel like your drawing book. So very personalized to you. Like, yeah, you're drawing my stuff. But this, this is what, what you care about that you're putting into this. And you can do whatever you want to it. So the front cover has like a, a cheap kind of tearaway cover. It just has a bit of an instruction on it of how maybe you might start. But once you take that away, there's a thicker cover behind it. Same cover, but now it's copiographic style, which is lighter colors. And you can draw your lines on it and make it your cover, make it your book. I think that's super that is, important. Yeah. And I So I included that. And then you get to the next page and it's a little bit of instruction. Maybe just a bit of a breakdown. And then the pages, the way they work, I figure, is one side of the page is the drawing. So that you just go to town, have a lot of fun, high quality paper. So I, I picked the paper specifically for how transparent it is. So I want it to be kind of not transparent. What is it, what is it like to have to choose the paper? It was a trip. We went to Hemlock Printers in, in Burnaby, I think they are. And they're a major outfit. Like they have, we decided first, first of all, to print it in Canada, which adds cost to it. But we were, wanted to be mindful about that. They're eco, uh, super eco aware there. So it's, we, we have the tag on the back of the book, but we looked through different papers and I just looked at the transparency because, because we have text on the back. So I'll get to that, but I didn't want the text to like be very visible on the drawing side. So I worked hard to balance the colors. So they're light enough there and the page is opaque enough. Like it's thick enough. It can handle some ink. So it'll be a really great drawing experience. Even the pages have perforated lines so if you decide like oh, i really love this page i'm gonna frame it you take it out you frame it or you say i really hate this page i don't like how it turned out i'm gonna throw it in the way you don't have to hurt your book before i get to the back of the page i'll say like the, there's it's also ring bound like a sketchbook so twin ring binding so normally you have like wire uh kind of like 
spiral binding. But if you've ever used like a notebook or for too long, the pages get destroyed. Yeah. That's the spiral ring binding. Twin ring is uh, perfect. It like you fold it over. It's perfect. Wow. So this book really is designed. For I designed something. the book. Yeah. Wow. And I, it, I think on the inside cover, it, it tells you about that, that design. Um, so what the different parts are and, and how useful they are. So we're always trying to communicate the value that's in it. I, I very much was like very mindful of it. Yeah, because the difference would be me going out to the store and buying pencils. I have no idea what pencils to get, yeah. and paper, and I have no idea what paper to get. Yeah, and colors, those steps, I have no idea what. We're because you're starting. A lot of people are going to be starting at ground zero. We're like we're having to like I have to communicate a lot of this stuff and figure out how to. Because part of the trouble, I know we're getting off from the book, but like, is that I'm an I'm I'm maybe an advanced artist, right? I don't want to be certain because I know I'm advanced, but uh, it's hard for me to come back to fundamentals sometimes because I'll skip right over them. They're like ingrained into me. Yeah. Like driving and forgetting that you just drove for half an hour, like that kind of a thing. Yeah. So the backs of the pages, they're interesting. So I'll have a drawing on the front and on the back I have like a story, like a title and a story. And sometimes it's just a description, like an anecdote, but most of the time it's a creative story that I wrote to go with it. Because I wanted to impress upon people the, the importance of having a story when you're right, or sorry, when you're drawing. Because like I used to draw growing up, but you can't just draw without a, a story. It's it's you end up with uh, kind of just like almost like randomness, and that's how I had to draw for years because I wasn't into stories. So I drew random things growing up, but then I got into stories just a little bit, and now all of everything I'm doing involves a story because it's so much easier. If you know the subject of what you're drawing and how they feel and where they're going and what they're seeing and and where there's room to be creative, then it's like you can do whatever you want. And you have your parameters, your limitations that are you need to do it well. Wow. So that on the back of the book, that's important. That I, is incredibly I important. I think that that's we need to talk about that because I do think that everybody needs a story on who they are themselves. Yeah. And they need to figure out who they are and where they're the going. Value of that, yeah. And work through that and i don't think people do that enough so that's you're probably right you know hope you don't mind me saying but like jordan peterson yeah he has a great tool he put together called self-authoring yeah and i did i did most of my self-authoring so what he what they have you do is break down your life into they call it six epochs and then you have to break down those epochs into like kind of like i think it's like five to six or some number like that parts the most significant parts of that epoch then you have to write something like 3,000 either letters or words to those parts. Yeah. And so the reason for it is to not just figure out your story, but to align your inner self. So by it's been proven, like it's been shown at least um, that by doing that, you actually like you re- you kind of integrate important things that might not have got integrated. Yeah. I think it increases university students. Ability to stay in that's, university. That's what he said. For, yes. for 30%. Oh, you know this. I, I know. Yeah, I, I did most of it. I think I got to the latter epochs and I, I kind of trailed off. But I learned some very, uh, very significant things that I didn't realize had happened to me. Well, and you have to pick, you have to draw two versions of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. If everything goes right and if everything goes wrong. I Yeah, that's daddy right. That's another part of it. I You have to, I think it's you have to get into something like your like the virtues and i forget the other one i think i did the the negative one first yeah and i didn't do the virtues well, i still have work to do what was that like though because for people who don't know you have to write about your version of life 
if you did everything wrong and you continue to do the things you know yourself by your own definition to be wrong if you continue that. I did it so long ago now. I did it a couple of years ago, I think, that I, I actually can't recall now. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I, I think it was. I, I have a faint memory that it was therapeutic. You take like, I know you take an event and then you kind of like, you write how it could have gone or what happened or something like that and how it could have gone differently and what you could do differently in the future, something like that. And then, yeah. and then you, you can break, you can actually have that kind of way of looking at things with problems you're having and deciding to, you know, address it now. Yeah. And I wish more people would take advantage of those mindsets because I know a lot of people who are in jobs they absolutely hate mm. and they're not thinking how to, the, the place they're in is unhealthy mentally. It's unhealthy, like, emotionally there's lots of reasons that you shouldn't stay there and then they just stay there and yeah. they don't realize how much harm they're doing to themselves well there's got to be a way i think to communicate it effectively because yeah. people have trouble connecting to to like ways of saying things sometimes i think like you say what's your five-year plan it's like I, I i can't i don't know it's like but maybe that that's that's one of those sayings that just used too much yeah so it's like okay like you said like jordan peterson's great at this he'll say like okay what what do you do right now that doesn't work well, I don't know. Well, who does know? Well, you should know. So how do you sit down and figure that out? And what happens if you keep doing that for one year or two years or three years? And it's worth sitting in that pain and, and suffering what that that uh, postulating might look like. Yeah. And then saying, okay, I want to avoid it. Like if I like he says, if I if I uh, don't do my taxes, um, that's like a demon that grows or like a dragon that grows. Yeah. And yeah, you could avoid it for like maybe two years, three years, five years. But you start getting to like 10 years, that dragon is becoming like a very ferocious thing that's going to bite back. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that people grapple with that mm -hmm. in the small things that make up their life. And we often do just put it off and say like, uh, like I'll move from the job eventually. And it's like you need to develop a plan the day you realize you don't want to stay there yeah. because you're going to become resentful. I feel like the reason could be like I might have gotten myself into better way of facing life that has its real challenges, but is the benefit. Yeah. So I would say freelancing. So when I started freelancing, I went from like comfortable, quote unquote, comfortable, like getting paid every two weeks, having a 40 hour work week to like I went from that to not knowing where my money's coming from, not knowing who my clients are going to be. Or what my jobs might be, uh, might might become. So I went from like working in this comfortable, predictable. You could say like uh, I had the illusion of being able to predict uh, the future, but I couldn't. I couldn't predict it. I got laid off from a graphic design job. I couldn't see that coming. I went from comfort to nothing. So I started. I decided. I was like, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to go get a regular Joe job, let's say, or I'll go work some other firm for 40 hours a week, which I, I actually didn't like. I didn't like not only the limitation of what how much I could work and how much I could make, but I guess I didn't like just being stuck at one place doing one thing. So I said, okay, I guess freelancing. And it was the most scary, I would say, decision I've ever made. It was super, super scary. What happened? Oh, well, I was working. Uh, so I lived in Chilliwack and I was working in Chilliwack at... Uh, so, so kind of a funny long story. So I, I was living in Abbotsford and I was working at a 40 hour work week kind of job. And I applied. <laughs> I don't know how to, how to tell the story. Essentially, I would. Okay, so I only drew characters. I never drew backgrounds. I drew one or two backgrounds. And I saw this sign, this billboard outside my house. 
and it was like for a building development that was going up and it was this beautiful painting of a building and nice trees and everything. And I was like, pretty sure I could do that. But I know I don't draw background. So I, I emailed them and I applied. They never got, they got back to me one year later. After my, my, my current job was like, I was so frustrated with them. I was so ready to leave. And this, this company emailed me and they're like, Hey, about that email one year ago, uh, you can totally come work for us. Um, so they tried me out. I got the job and I worked with them for probably three years, four years, something like that. Or yeah, maybe three years. And, uh, so it was in the building development industry. And it was about 2009, 2010, I think, that that industry kind of, I think it was then anyway, that they started, it started collapsing. The the, the whole, um, what do they call it? The 2008 crash? It was something, it, but it was with the real estate industry. Yeah. And it was a major crash. And it was like, that's all the business did. All we did was develop marketing materials. And I got a job there just painting environments. So I actually went into a job having painted two pictures of environments and I got a job only doing that. Wow. So I got better at it, let's say. Yeah. Um, I got really good at it. And anyway, that crash happened. I got laid off. And I was like, so I worked for them for years. I didn't work for them as an employee. I actually worked for them with as a sole proprietor. Yeah. So they were one of my clients. They were my biggest client. And that was like his way of uh, the boss's kind of way of of getting people to start their own careers, their own oh, cool. jobs. I'm sure he had other reasons, but uh, it really worked. I had, I did have a couple other clients. I got some other work, but it was like, I know this was my main bread and butter and that's a comfort zone and it's dangerous, right? So I was stifled. I was stuck in my career. Then I got laid off. And so I had been working for maybe like, I don't know, maybe at that point, I was in my career for many years, like maybe, maybe seven years. I don't know. And I was like, okay, at this point, this is my career. And they, he says, like, I'm laid off. And I got no work. I got no job. So I had an identity crisis. Like I actually, it was a really, really hard experience because all of a sudden I had no career. So who I thought I was, I wasn't. And like, if that's ever happened to you, um, it's, it's world shaking. Because you're like, I don't know who to be. I don't know what I do. So even though I felt that dire, I decided to freelance. Wow. I was, and I was like, because I did the math and I was like, okay, I was making something like twenty three fifty an hour at this place, working 40 hours a week. And I, I don't know what it worked out to be. I was like, well, if I had $100 a day, I'd be okay. Right? So I gave myself a raise right away. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll say 25 an hour is what I'll make. And then uh, I got some work. And I was like, okay, well, I need about seven fifty to pay my rent. I need about a thousand dollars a month, maybe. Because back, I didn't drive, I didn't do any of that. And so I was like, okay, I need a thousand dollars, but I could make that in uh, two days if I if I did it right, you know. So then I would adjust my rates to get to the hundred dollar a day mark or the thousand dollar a month part uh, part. And I kept adjusting it, and I would get little bits of work, li- like just little bits. Um, and I started practicing. Um, law of attraction as well. So I, I got this book called The Go-Giver rather than The Go-Getter. You're a go-giver, which I'll be happy to get into. Yeah, let's tell me about it. Oh, man, it's such a big story. I feel like so I was uh, I was going around to everybody I knew at that point and going, hey, I just lost my job. It really sucks. Hurts a lot. Um, do you have anything I can do? I need money. Like that was my story. I was telling everybody. And I said it to everybody. Everyone's like, nope, that really sucks. Sorry, man. I can't help you. And then I said it to one guy and he was like, uh, what? 
He's like, you're not saying this to everybody, are you? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, that's what happened. What do you want me to do? And he was like, all right, first of all, stop. He's like, don't say that to anyone anymore. He's like, you got to get this book called A Go-Get. And I, like, I'm not a breeder, but I found the audiobook and I listened to it. And it has like five or six laws that if you abide by these laws, you're going to be successful. And you hear this hokey stuff all the time about that. But going around asking people like to give me something, I need it, give it to me. Like it felt wrong. And I, but I thought that's what business was. I thought business was going, Hey, give me this thing that you have and that I need and I'll give something to you. And that's business, but it's, it's missing love. It actually, that's a, an important piece, I think, to making it personal and valuable. So the go giver, you know, uh, I don't have all the principles memorized anymore. I try to, I think I tried to adapt them into me. So I lived them more, but it's always giving more value than you're receiving. That's one of them. So making sure like I'm actually doing more, uh, I'm doing the, my work would be so good that however much they pay me, they don't feel like they're giving me enough. And so that's one of the things that I, I adapted and I did that a bunch. I did it to all their laws, what they call laws. And it started to work. One of them I, I tried it uh, on my brother before I, I really got to to put it into work with work. So one of them's like you have to give in order to receive, but you have to give selflessly. You can't give to receive. So I was like, okay, how do I try this? So my brother was in the living room playing a video game, and I went and I just made him food. I just made him a meal and I brought it out to him. I was like, here's a plate of food for you to eat. He was like, what? Uh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. And I was like. Don't worry about it. No, no, you enjoy that. And I, and literally the next day, he came into my room with a plate of food. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> this is so unlike you. Uh, so I thought, how do I apply that to work then? Um, if, if it works there, I mean, yeah, it's supposed to work with work. So, okay, what do I want? I want to get work. That's actually what I want. So I can't give work to anyone. I can't hire somebody and like expect that equation to work out. But I thought, okay, I do know a couple people that are, are skilled people who might appreciate getting some work. So I didn't know what to do. I just started emailing a bunch of random people on the internet saying, Hey, my buddy Scott is a great programmer. Maybe he could help you. Here's his information. I did that a bunch. And literally like, I think like the next week I got an email from someone wanting a website because Scott had told them about me and now they wanted a website. And I charged them like $2,500, which back then was like a lot. Two and a half months of work. And I was like, that's a lot of rent yeah. in one job. And I it worked out really well. And so the principles of the go-giver, they work. And so I, I just kept that up, kept giving myself raises. So my value for what I output, how quickly I do it, how I even how I help people has to be part of the equation. Like if I make someone a label for their product, they're going to sell you know, 100,000 of them, that has to equate to me doing a logo for a small business owner in Chilliwack, right? Yeah. So balanced out some of that, a lot of that out as best I can through the years, but it's kept me going. So now I've been freelancing for, I would say about, I think I emailed and told you about 12 or 13 years. Yeah. And still get work. I still get jobs, pays my rent. That's one thing I was going to ask about because it's something hard for people to calculate which is the value of your work because we have pseudo understandings of like milk should be $5. Right. We ha we get that assumption, 
but we lose the relationship of what's going on in the background. How did it get to be that price? Right. And you're in a unique circumstance where you're so good at what you do that you can do it so quickly that I could never, it would take me years to learn how to do it as quickly as you can. And yeah. you have to figure out what the value of this product is, despite the fact that, because even the person who did this artwork for me, he was yeah. like, I was like, oh, how long did it take you? And he's like, I can't tell you that, or that'll be like, that will change your thinking on how, how much work it is to create a piece of artwork like totally. this. And so what is that like for you? Well, it's very true. You run into that all the time. I've had clients like straight up like uh, debate me on my prices too. It's like, uh, why would I pay you $1,600 for a logo when I could get one for 60 bucks online? And I'm like, you know, I was like, go ahead. I was like, you can get it for 60 bucks. I'm like, feel free. But I, I am a, I'm a brand designer, which is different than just a graphic designer. And so I think I've learned to put such care into my designs. Um, I think about it on levels that are, that are deeper when it comes to their business and who they are and who their demographics are. So it's like you have to be able to, I think, meet that value. But really, in the end, what you're saying is true. Like uh, I heard it said once, it's like I, it didn't, this didn't take me like a week to make this took me 30 years to make. Yeah. Right. So, cause I've been, I've been developing, my, developing myself as an artist for that long. And so, yeah, it is, some of the equations are, are hard to work out, but it's like, I, I do good work. Doesn't matter necessarily how long it takes, but I, I do meet deadlines, but I want the thing to be really effective. I want it to uh, make you more successful. Yeah. So that's what you're paying for actually is a really high quality piece. That's, designed with with that wisdom in mind yeah and i think that's why i switched from being a logo designer just graphic designer to i'm more of a brand designer now yeah. i think about the future of the brand i think about how it's going to be used where it's going to be used and so you have to develop many versions of a logo sometimes and and so i, I actually design all kinds of things I, did, I design entire trade show booths you know full page ads uh, magazine ads all kinds of marketing materials it's like whatever comes across my desk, usually I'll do. And I want to get into more of a niche market where I'm designing, let's say, mostly brands and, and focusing on something like that. But now it's like Copia and Graphic Designer. I'm running two businesses essentially now. Yeah. But I, I still love designing a really strong brand and working with a company for a long period of time to like really maintain that brand. Yeah. And there's a voice that comes along with the brand. And it gets really diluted really quickly when people don't value that voice and they go, Oh, it's just a logo. And they get, you know, this person and that person, this person to, to design the same materials and nothing's cohesive because it's like a director of a movie. You can't have necessarily like six or seven directors directing a movie. It'll look like hogwash, right? You need a director or two directors because they can work together. I don't know if that answers your question about value, but it's, yeah. it is, that is a tricky thing because I think, yeah, some people, they don't get the value yeah. and it is sometimes hard to explain when it looks like I just draw a picture for you. I, I ran into that starting this because mm. I did reach out to whatever it was, 99 designs oh, and yeah. it was just an immediate headache because I had sent him this image right here and I said, and I have the paramount and mm -hmm. I want to figure out a way to mix that together with the word bigger than me. And he took this and he put that on top of that and sent it to me and said, there you go. And I was like, well, that's copyright. And he said, no, that's not copyright. 
And it's wild to think that like an album cover I know is copyright. And that's not how copyright works. Yeah, <laughs> but he didn't care because I paid him like I think it was like seventy bucks or something. Like it was super. Well, affordable. and he's probably overseas, and yeah, it's like a third of China's like market is uh, what's it called? Um, counterfeit. Counterfeit. Yeah, I couldn't think of it either. Um, but and then I hired um, podcast branding and Mark Dakota, and mm-hmm. he sat down with me. We did a thirty-minute conversation. We went through what are you trying to do? What are the pieces that matter to you? What are the pieces that don't matter to you? Yeah. And what colors matter? What? Why do they matter? And he asked me all those personal questions. Yeah. And then he sent me three options. We put them all together to form one main option that I really liked. Yeah. And that's how we got the cover. And that's brilliant. I like these pictures, by the way. The, I missed the Paramount. I was so sad. And they were like, we're going to take it down. Yes, I, I'm very disappointed. But and I, I'm I like your logo, too. I think I was analyzing it yesterday. I wasn't I wasn't criticizing it. I think Jenna asked me what I thought of it. And I was like, I think I really dig it. Uh, and I thought about what it made me think of. And uh, I think it, I think it's perfect. Actually, it's great. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm glad to have your approval on that because well, and, and I and now I understand it more with the Paramount because it's like a uh, the marquee kind of uh, lights all the way around it. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's pretty clever. Awesome. Well, let's get back. We went on a long distance from the book. Sure. But who are you trying to work towards getting this to market to? Who's the? Well, before we get into that, I, can I finish? I want to finish for sure because I totally I was like I'm derailing this and I don't care. So the back of the pages, yes, they have a story. I think it's pretty important. And but there's also consider this. I call it consider this points. They have points yeah. uh, where it says consider this, and there's like maybe three to five or six points, and they're like educational points because I want people to have the opportunity when they get the book not just to draw and have fun, but we wanted to add value to it by saying, okay, here are some things you can think about that actually are concepts that might encourage your growth. And, and sometimes they're simple. They're just like, look how this shape looks like this shape. But also sometimes they're, they're bigger ideas of like um, expressing yourself or taking time, you know, to do it. I can't even think of what they are. I wrote the whole book, by the way, and we edited it like six times, seven times. It's, it's, I didn't ever think I'd write a book, but apparently I have. And then each page at the bottom of those considerous points has a, a quote from someone famous, sometimes me, as a kind of encouragement, maybe like an inspirational quote to encourage you to keep going, keep pursuing what you're doing. So that's that's that book. And then also to finish off the book, it's like the back page goes into a couple variations of drawing styles you could consider. You can draw whatever you want, whatever style you can imagine or find. But then there's also the shape familiarity points. So the back cover is the last thing I could probably say about it. It's a thick, like nice, thick uh, card stock. I don't know what you would say, like cardboard almost, but like even thicker, like you would find on a sketchbook. We wanted a practical way to draw, like when you're sitting anywhere. So it kind of works like a table. You just can. And that's, a, that's so what everything went into this book. Yeah. Well, I was like, there's a reason sketchbooks are designed the way they are. They have a hard backing as well. And I was like, I really want that experience for people. I want them to have a book and really sit down and feel like this is my book and I'm an artist too. And, and I'm going to spend time with this thing and make it my own. And and I'm going to love it for whatever it is and whatever it turns out to be and hopefully have fun. Yeah, that's a wild thing about coloring books now that I think about the adult ones. I mm-hmm. don't think are usually hardcover. They're usually softcover. Yeah, that, true. That would go against your. Well, and there's a it's a the value goes way up. Like the cost for us to produce these was pretty high. So we certainly made it like a premium quality book. I think in the future we're going to produce like versions that aren't as like don't have all the bells and whistles let's say so 
the cost isn't going to be the same, but hopefully the paper quality stays the same, I think, because I, I really want that, uh, I want that, at least that feel of the paper and I want that drawing experience to be really top notch. Yeah. But yeah, so, and who, who it ends up in whose hands. So we've, we've had a lot of experience like putting it in people's hands and a lot of people really love it. And it's, it seems like everybody can enjoy it. Who would love to, to get it in the hands of people who are very creative and who really love uh, maybe new experiences or want to really like get into something and really like build it, you know, like make it their own over a period of time. But kids really love it. Kids absolutely love are they coming? Things. Are these coming into the schools at all? We're, we're working toward that. I think we're like a fairly new company. We like, so the book was printed in November and so that's how old we are. Yeah. And so we've been, we've been definitely working on developing a lot of materials. So I have like downloadable drawing packs online now. I think we've released at least two or three, uh, I think three and have a couple, like maybe three more in production. We're starting to release a lot of individual pages and that's probably how we're going to move forward. So there's lots of like inexpensive ways to get in on it. So, you know, a dollar or $2 for a single page or I think it's $5 right now, or maybe it's four to five for like a pack of five. So you can print these at home on your regular paper and, and just, and you can print them, you know, a hundred times if you want. Yeah. So the value, we're trying to make sure pe- it's there for people to draw. And the, the nice thing about the downloadable packs is the themes can be very specific. Yeah. So like, I think right now we have one that's like drawing cartoon animals, one that's drawing cartoon characters, and one I just came out with that is one of my favorites. It's drawing mushrooms. Yeah. And it's literally just a pack of mushrooms. And it's like, I drew so many different kinds of mushrooms. And for whatever reason, mushrooms are just, they're awesome. Yeah. And not to get into some weird side thing, but I think mushrooms are incredible. Uh Do you want to talk about Fantastic Fungi and where to find them? Well, sort of. Is that a title of something? I swear I've heard that. Yeah, that's the movie by, I'm going to forget his name now, but. It's it's not Terrence McKenna, is it? No, but it's Paul Stamets is a mycologist. And he's been. Oh, I know him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he, he has the hat that's made of mushrooms. Yes. And he came out with a movie and he's part of it. Fantastic fungi. And there, I, you know, what trips me out about them is that they are, they grow like a plant, but they're not a plant. They're meaty, uh, but they're meaty, but they're not that animal. Yeah. So they have this other kind of species of thing. I, that to me, I just love how alien they seem. You ready for this? Sure. Okay, this gets weird. So I was watching and we were learning about trees in the documentary and they were talking about how the mycelium under the trees are able to determine whether or not one tree is getting enough nutrients and they will share the nutrients. Two trees beside each other under the ground will share and trade nutrients in order to survive and that's through mycelial network. So the the mushrooms will actually help them? Yes. No way. Yeah. Oh, wow. I know the biggest organism on the planet is a mushroom. Yes. I know that. One of the oldest ones is here in, I think, BC. Oh, really? Or one of the largest. So they're like as big as a forest or something, right? Like all on the ground. Yeah. Uh, now that we're talking about mushrooms, actually, one of my, my favorite clients, they're, uh, they produce a mushroom bag for hydroponic growing or garden growing, even indoor gardens. So it's like a mushroom. They have a patent on it, and it's this mushroom that eats bark in a bag and uh it produces co2 so it doesn't it's non-fruiting which means it doesn't produce little mushroom tips and stuff but it actually like produces co2 abundant co2 uh, for like six months of like constant co2 wow so you put that in your garden really inexpensive product and it's like it's brilliant the plants love it they need to breathe right yeah and they're one of my favorite companies because they've just been like they brought me on board they're like yeah you take a piece of what we sell and then you just 
keep producing whatever you like. And so I've, I've made probably like a, a couple dozen full page illustrated ads for them. And that's just our arrangement. And it just, we've been going for like, I don't even know, 10 years. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm taking um, Lion's Mane is just a part of our coffee now. We have oh, like a really? specific bag. Isn't that the one that is like tastes like lobster or something? Is it that one? Maybe, yeah. If it was on its own, this one's mixed in with a coffee, so it just tastes oh, like okay. coffee to me. Yep. Um, and then we have chaga as well, which is another mushroom, uh, really good for pH balancing your body. And yeah. so we've really gotten into it. And definitely for the Lion's Mane, I notice it with just being able to have the words there when I need them rather oh, than for cognitive exactly where do you get that coffee uh just beyond nutrition okay yeah most of the stuff the water everything comes from beyond nutrition nice yeah well I might have to look into that I know I really want to get into like mycology yeah I'd love to be able to walk into a forest and say that's that kind of mushroom that's that kind of mushroom I'd love to just be able to say any name anything other than like that's a tree and I know that yeah. that's a tree because no kidding so many things I don't know the name of so where did we, I feel like we, we okay. totally took a book tangent. and who, who the book is for. So I think it's, yeah, so kids love it. I know it's for kids to a degree because I actually made it with myself in mind too. Uh, when I was, when I was that age, right? When I was like 10, starting to draw. God, I wish I had a book I could just have doodled in without having to figure out like what drawing is or having to copy people. Yeah. Because I did, I copied other people. So it's not any different to this. The, the better thing, uh, maybe I shouldn't get into doing another tangent, but I think it's the immersion quality is pretty important because um, you're actually drawing along. And that, and so you end up drawing how you would naturally figure out how to draw because people don't use construction lines when they draw. Yeah. Just you don't. You start with an eye, you draw a nose, draw a mouth. So it's more like that drawing, which is normal, kind of everyday drawing, than designing. So nowadays I use construction lines because I'm a very competent drawer. Yeah. So I design a scene. I design very specific things. So I need it to look a certain way and be very dynamic or whatever. So I use all those lines. Um, so that's my tangent. Okay, awesome. And so... So who, who else I would say it's for? It's probably for... I don't know. I think most of the people... I think it's mostly women who actually is part of our demographic. But I think it's anybody who is really into their own creativity. What do you and, think behind the men not being <laughs> as interested in it? I, I, it's hard to say. I think it's an openness thing to maybe creativity, um, maybe to self-care because that, that, that seem, does seem to be part of it. It's like people who value self-care take time and they, they find ways of doing that. Um, so I feel like that's part of it. But part of it is also it's a creative area. So I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's that. Maybe a mixture of both. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have the our formula down but i I know a lot of who does come to us and interacts with us it's like that's that's the primary people but i think it's like it's an i know it's an awesome gift for anyone who's creative personally i'm a really i'm really good at drawing and i still like to draw it i i love it because sometimes i don't want to come up with things to draw i just want to sit down and draw yeah i just want to draw lines but i don't want to have to design something well that's it. like if you want to read a good book you're not gonna write the book and then reread what you wrote you're good gonna point. Read, to read a good book but like yeah if you're a, a professional writer it, it would that would be pretty horrible if you were like compelled to write your book every time you're ready to to like read something i guess yeah so who else would it be for i think yeah people who want probably something to do that's a really good person uh, that would be, that would really get something from it. Maybe someone who struggles with mindfulness as well, and their maybe those, yeah. those topics are tough for them. Perhaps someone who struggles with their emotions, or like who is in tough situations and doesn't really have much of an out. 
I think uh, being able to adapt, that's really healthy. Yeah, taking time away and, and still doing something that makes you lean forward, you know, like is engaging. Because a lot of times we, we spend our time doing things that aren't actually as engaging. They're like instant gratification, you know, browsing the internet, watching a movie. Maybe just take time to lean forward and actually like draw a little bit. It would be really cool to see how that would do in a foster care system now yeah. and in a foster home and see if every child was able to have a book and start to grapple with that. Maybe, yeah. Maybe they would be really healthier for them. Yeah. Yeah, because you're in a situation you can't control and you might not have uh, people to turn to that would be healthy for you. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah. I think if you're at all interested in art, then and, and maybe if you, how about this one? If you ever wanted to draw, <laughs> I, I think that's a really good one. Like if you value drawing, but you you, you know you will never learn. I think that's a really a really cool one because you didn't get to explore. You get to experience it. Yeah, and you get to put that part of you that says I'm not a drawer to yeah. rest. You can, you can yeah, literally just have some fun with it. Don't don't make it such a hard deal. Like, and I, it's so funny to me that people don't question it with a coloring book usually because colors are fun. They're great, but color coloring books have been around forever. So it's much more normalized in a way. Yeah. So drawing is this, it's make it not exclusive to artists and just, yeah, take a, take a try maybe something. Is there anything like this in the market locally? There's nothing like this in the market in the world. This is the first of its kind. Wow. Yeah. I was like, I've never seen it in my life. I've, I've never heard of it. The closest thing that I've ever seen is like people drawing on a newspaper with like a you know, a Sharpie or something. Yeah. That's about it. So you have like how to draw books, which are actually really difficult and off-putting, which I, I think this is a much better solution because that makes people quit art quickly. Because they can't do the circle that they're telling them. Well, and you open it up and you're like, this is like geometry. Yeah. Like I don't, I want to draw. I don't want to do geometry, um, which is understandable. I know they're trying to give you some fundamentals, but at the same time, that's like you're shutting people down when they're at a, a very delicate place. Yeah, you're almost making it like mathematical where they, they need yeah. to turn off their creativity and focus. And that's it's appropriate. I mean, that's useful, but that's a little bit more advanced than the basics. Yeah. So then the other options are like you have those dot-to-dot -dot books, which, I mean, you follow the dots, you don't know what you might get. So it's a bit of a mystery. That's kind of fun. But in the end, you have a bunch of numbers on your page, and it's not, not very interesting, I think, in the long run. Then you have tracing paper, which this is like tracing, but it's different. Where tracing paper, you can't see through the paper very well, and you're sealing everything. This is not like that. I think this is, we're designing it specifically so you can explore drawing. Yeah. So, I don't know. I haven't seen it anywhere. I And it's, I've looked, and I, I've we've been online for a while, and some people said they saw something like it in, you know, a long time ago. And it's like, I look at what they mention, and it's, it's not that. Yeah. It's something else. So, yeah, we're looking into, I don't know, like I've coined the name copiography as the art style. Yeah. Which is, you know, these simple colored shapes that are, are meant for a design guide, like, or sorry, a drawing guide. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, I'm surprised it doesn't exist, but I was like, this, it should exist. Well, that's perfect because I did try drawing a long time ago and I bought the, the paper and I bought some mm. drawing pencils. Right. And just never... The pencils ended up going in the garbage, as with the paper, I'm sure. That's it. I think, I think that's the thing that bothers me, too, is like it's um, people are neglected when it comes to art. 
Like, yeah, you have the materials. You can get pencils and paper and you can get this and that. You get a how-to drawing book, but there is a missing piece. So I, the goal was to make the thing that's like a coloring book for drawing. Because coloring books, you know, you're drawing on other, or you're coloring on other people's drawings, but it is, it is an important thing to explore, which is coloring, how colors interact with each other and, and what that means, or even how that makes you feel. Yeah. Because colors have very distinct feelings to them, which is important in marketing. But yeah, so I, that, that was my goal. It was like, I want to give people the ability to do something that they, they might have wished one day they could have, maybe wish they, they still could, or maybe just doubt that they have it in them at all. Yeah. It's like, you don't need any of that. Yeah. Just let all that go and just draw. That's awesome. That's it. Wow. So my only other question with the book is where can people get it and how much does it cost? Uh, so you can get it on our website, copialine.com. And yeah, we also have downloadable drawing packs on there. We were in the book man. We have a couple in there and we were in Julianne's, which is downtown Chilliwack. We're not downtown Chilliwack, but like across from Superstore. We're in a couple other stores, but we're growing. And our goal is to start producing a lot more like downloadable packs. Because right now, pandemic, we'd love people to buy the book. Like, everyone go get one. Get one for the, the people in your life that, that you think, um, you know, are artists or want to try that too. But the online part might be really good. So, I, I'll download a pack or I'll put it on my USB and take it to Staples. Print it for like two bucks. Yeah. And uh, and then that's it. I, I paid maybe seven bucks for, I don't know, seven pages wow. like that. But yeah, so I would say website first. That's probably the main main place. And if you're in Chilliwack, we can we can bring it to you as well. Because like we didn't realize this until we were already printed everything. But Canada's shipping prices are actually really high. They're really really high. How much are they? Like for it was like sixteen dollars to ship somewhere in Canada anywhere. Wow. Yeah. So if you're local and you want to get one, uh, just contact us and let us know. And yeah, we can we can work it out. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, and and yeah, yeah. Anyway, and so let's go a little bit more into the design part of things and sure. what your background is there, and maybe some art that you've created or a logo you've designed. Sure. So, which part? Design part. Yes. What? Wherever you'd like to start off. I don't know. I mean, like for me, I got into designing later than art. So I was an artist ever since I was a little kid, like preschool, and I got more serious at like ten years old, and then more serious at even. After, uh, right around graduating high school because I was like, well, what am I going to do with my life? And so I went into to art. And it was funny because I saw graphic design when I was young and I thought, that's stupid. Like, who would do that? That's silly. That's you're selling out. And then I, I took aptitude tests and, and it's like, that's what you should be doing. Like, my aptitude was graphic design. Yeah. And then when I did it, I did it, uh, it was easy. I was like, well, this, this is like goes together pretty quickly. So I've actually been designing and illustrating at the same time and developing each skill set. And it, to speak to design, really, I brought my illustration into design and my design skills into illustration. Because a lot of designing is is the same as, as making a painting. Like, so, you know, like a, a Renaissance painting, they tell a story, but they tell the story using lighting, composition, and focal points. Like, I want you to look at this part first, and then this part second, and then Maybe if you're still looking this part and you take that into marketing and it's like develop a full page ad, I want you to read the tagline first. Then I want you to notice the logo. And then I want you to kind of like understand what it is we're, we're really like all about. That's wild. Because when we look at, when I look at the information, none of that is running through my mind that I'm no. being guided through. Yeah. You, cause you'll look at the red circle cause it draws all of your attention. 
out of your control. A lot of it isn't in your control. It's this like more subtle, probably our, our reptilian brain. It's like, but you, those are tools in the illustrator's arsenal and in the, or I should say toolbox and in the, the toolbox of the designer. And I, I, continuing that, even with logo design, it's a, a lot of that is about simplifying and coming up with the, the very simplest ways to tell the story of the company, whether it's a product or whether it's like a feeling or an idea or a motto or something like that. And so those ideas about simplifying icons, making icons, I brought that into my illustration. So now it's like, I, I love drawing clearly. Like I like when my shapes are clear. Which is like in Copia, um, I have to be able to draw things very clearly so that people understand them when they're looking at them. So anyway, um, designing, man, uh, that was a world I didn't really want to get into and I did and I've been doing it for a long time. And I, I think I still really enjoy uh, a lot of parts of it, but now I'm excited about the potential of, of doing Copia way more. Yeah. I think that I'd love that to be my future. Yeah. Um, and just drawing things that people really want to experience and draw um, and interacting with people. Cause there's one thing I love to see. It's like what people are also interested in, right. And how they, how, the, what happens when they get their hands on it. Yeah. I know I'm bringing it back to that. Yeah. So I just want to know if there's any um, businesses that you interacted with through design or anything that we might be able to talk about and know more about. Sure. Yeah. So the one I mentioned earlier, the mushroom bag, that's called Exhale. And so that's a product that's available. So Do they sell it around here? Uh, they do. I think there's only one. I don't know if, I don't know what stores would sell it. I know Crystal Mountain Products is a distributor and they probably have some stores to find it at, but you can talk to them. Yeah. But they're like a big US company, right? Exhale. So they're available. There's a store locator on their website. Um, I think it's like exhale CO2 bags or something.com. Yeah. And, but that's just an amazing product, like really worth, uh, getting if that's like your, uh, if you're an indoor grower and even they put it outside, uh, around outdoor grows, uh, you know, like whether it's vegetables or whatever, it's like all plants breathe CO2. So it's natural. It's inexpensive. It's like, there's no heat. There's no danger. Just put it in. And it's like, you're bringing this natural element, like the mushroom. Yeah into your in indoor forest you know so it, it harmonizes it it's like sorry it brings up the ambient co2 levels to like a place the plants like yeah so that's one business i'd mentioned the other one might be like one yellow tree i work with a company in town called one yellow tree and they are a marketing agency so that's my friend glenn who's my partner with copia he that's his company he has a couple partners on that and they do like a whole lot of like web development uh, you know, local and, and abroad. And, and yeah, I've definitely worked with them for years. I'm their graphic guy. So lots of, lots of uh, love there. Yeah. Um, so that's, I'm pretty sure that's one yellow tree.com. Yeah. And then, uh, and they're good for like small to large businesses as well. And I'm also available for, for graphic design work, but, uh, one I would mention too is studio 70. I did a great logo for them and they're in, uh, downtown. I think they're, um, I forget what they're, they're like located within another store. It's called Maine on something on Maine or something like that. But Nick look up studio 70. Yeah. Really happy with how that, that project turned out and uh really awesome lady that runs it. That's awesome. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about small businesses locally that you enjoy so we can lift them up as well? Oh man. In town here? In town here. Oh geez. Or throughout the Fraser Valley. Fraser Valley. Well, the ones I haven't worked with, 
some of them. But yeah, my favorites. We could just talk about that. Yes. Uh, well, you're right next to the Yellow Deli. Yeah. That, they're brilliant. I love that place. What do you think of some of the controversy that they faced? Because I think some of it is unfounded and some of it is questionable. I don't even know. I hear, like, obviously there's always chatter. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. It's just people. They're like, they do their own thing. I don't even know what the controversy might even be. There was a documentary, I think, released in the States oh. in regards to one of their sister organizations down there right. that had some abuse allegations. Yeah. And the only thing that I have to say is that I have spoken at length with Mahir, who works there, and I feel very confident that if he were to lie to me, he would not be able to lie to me for the seven years I've been going there. Yeah. And so I have my opinion that I don't think that that's the case, but... It, I think it's highly possible. I don't see why that wouldn't be possible. Um, but it's a lot of it might be situational. And then a lot of it, I mean, even if there is an inherent part that enables abuse to happen, like it's this close community, you're not meant to speak to outsiders. or But they're not like that. But then that's, that's a common thing that happens anyway. But yeah, if they're not like that, yeah. maybe. Well, because you can send people to a job out in a restaurant and risk them telling everyone about what you, yeah like that would be a bad call yeah and i don't i don't know uh obviously i don't know the inside story so i think the only thing i could say was just like yeah listen to the people that that uh you know if they're a part of it yeah. that are saying that this has happened yeah like that's the truth then, exactly right like at least that's their perspective yeah and that should be at least respected to whatever degree it is anyways um, that was kind of a negative part no that's okay yellow Deli's great. I, I love going in there they they're really really kind people there i love the atmosphere i really miss seeing restaurants that have like a theme i remember being a kid and like going to a pizza pizzeria and it was like all italian themed and red bricks and like big scoops of putting the pizza in the oven and like you know, Even Subway with the wall and they yeah. had the map of like New York City That's and right. stuff. It always had that smell. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I miss themed restaurants. So when I go there, it's like I feel like I'm in the tavern at like, you know, some like I want to say Lord of the Rings, but Yeah. <laughs> but it is like that. It's like this really lovely, like wooden old architecture. Yeah. So that's a business I think is really awesome. I like Galaxy Faux. Yeah. Brilliant food. There's they're all gonna be food places yeah i think uh shandar hut it's a staple absolutely i'm trying to get them on the podcast oh you should i'm tr- I'm doing my best i uh, yeah i was uh, i i know um i think is I, I think we share a name um the son of the main guy uh gordon i think his name is gordy i think gordy he my, yeah he's awesome yeah. yeah he's really nice yeah but delicious food um i love the what is it the chili paneer hot my favorite okay i only have like the chicken oh man butter chicken chili paneer you gotta try it okay and then if you ever ever been to the loose caboose yes yeah i haven't been in ages because they don't have the train that goes all the way around anymore or do they i don't oh no i don't know if they run it though maybe last time i was there they did i can't remember yeah but i think they're korean and i always get the soul uh it's called the soul breakfast yeah it comes with these these like pickled i think they're beets they're giant pickled like almost tortillas like a bunch of fixings in them delicious super good like fried dumplings and stuff um i like julianne's awesome where is that so that's the art store that's across from superstore oh okay it's right next to hofsteads and i've been going there for years years and years yeah and what do what do you go there for and, and what um so that's just art supplies you know i think i don't know if the lady that runs it is julianne i think it might be 
but I've got some stuff framed there and, and you know, bought all my sketchbooks and stuff there. Because I used to, so I'm an artist. I used to live in Chilliwack for years, um, and I moved to Abbotsford a couple years ago. But working here, I mean, living here, that was where all my supplies came from because there's no other art stores around. Yeah. And then, you know, I would also give a shout out just to the art center. I think I think it's pretty awesome. It's like, um, I think, fairly close to it. Yes, but like a block away. I would go to, I, so one way I improved in with my art was I, I never went to school for art. I was I was in advanced placement in high school, but I would go to life drawing at the art center, um, like religiously. I would go like two days a week, and that was like all the classes I could get. And I would just keep going, and I went for years. What was what? What did you do there? So life drawing, that's where you go, and there's a nude bottle, and you pay I don't know what it is like twelve dollars per session, and then you sit there for three hours and draw them while they they do like five minute poses or ten minute poses or fifteen or. 20 or 30 sometimes and i did that for years though like twice a week my drawing skill went from like quite like okay like i I could draw things pretty well but they had no feeling in them to like i was drawing mostly with feelings so if it was a woman i would draw like very feminine lines curves and these like delicate shapes if it was a man it would be like more masculine uh, lines so harder edges and a little bit more textured and there's an energy to all these things and it was just, it was awesome. I think it's such an invaluable way to, to get better at drawing. Wow, I would have never even thought of that as something. Oh, it's it's a tradition, I think, in art. Like, that goes back to the beginnings of, of art, really. Um, that's why you, you see, in, I think, in a lot of, uh, a lot of culture uh, on the other side of the world is, like, these nude sculptures, right? You know, Michelangelo painted every, everyone nude. It's like, that's humans. You know, that's us. That's so wild because I look at that being not versed in it and go like, oh, I wouldn't feel comfortable sitting there and having somebody stand. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. And everyone, when they first go, they giggle because they're like, oh, they're nude. <laughs> this is funny. But then you're drawing for three hours. Yeah. Um, it fades like, away. Hard work. Um, and yeah, you're looking at form and, and shadow and, and anatomy and, and like posing and, and dialing these things in, you know, the challenge of drawing this pose in two minutes versus 30 minutes it's a huge leap of like this the skill sets i'm gonna apply you know the amount of time and, and things i can pour into it yeah but the model side of it man yeah they're they're brave and i hand it to them every one of them Do you ever like, find out how they hire those people well yeah yes uh, some are professional models so yeah. some like they uh you know in vancouver they have like so they have a life drawing area next to emily carr and it's like, you can go there. I have never gone, but they have like, they're all professional models. Like, so they, they get paid like hundred bucks a session or something, maybe 120. I don't know. And, and, uh, but that's all they do. They'll travel around and do it for all the art, you know, like drawing places they can. And then, but some people, um, you know, they have, they have backups that'll do it on a whim and it might just be some older woman or some older man who just wants to do it. It might just be a younger guy who saw the ad and is like, oh, I'll do that. Or some young woman who's like, I want to do it because I want to kind of like challenge myself or I want to, uh, I want to, I want to be more comfortable or do something wild or whatever it is. But they break, they come into it and they have, they get to learn to pose in these like really interesting ways, you know, like they're, so they're expressing emotions, expressing these feelings and just like those statues in Rome and stuff, they have to they, they kind of like they come up with these different poses that are very human and we don't we don't even tell them what to do yeah we just go oh maybe maybe try like 
put your arms up or something. So they'll they'll do very natural poses. Yeah. And that's what we draw. Wild. Yeah. Any other small businesses you want to mention? Not that I could think of at the moment. Uh, I don't know. I, I've worked for lots of distributors of different products uh, and sort of developed lots of different products. But a lot of the products I've developed were uh, niche. So it was in hydroponic industry, which is a whole other story, but I've been working in it since I was a young guy. Yeah. And so that's where a lot of my connections were. But I've slowly drifted into like other, uh, I think other businesses. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just keep working for a lot of the same guys now. And, and I, I develop lots, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm trying to move away from graphic design now into probably more, more producing stuff for Copia, which, which is awesome. And really doing my own artwork as well. Yeah. Because um, that's something I moved away from for too long. Like, so making my own paintings or doing it, doing it for fun. Yeah. They say, you know, you shouldn't do what you love to do for work because it'll like, it'll kill it for you. It's like, that's true to a degree. I think I, I used to think it was true. And then, you know, I, I did it and it did, it, it was a lot. Like I kept doing it, but it's, it's mostly just keep doing the same thing for too long. Yeah. That's mostly it. I don't love art any more than I ever have, but I love it. It's still great. Yeah. And I think what the trick is, is just keep changing it up. So keep trying to do new things, you know, draw with ink, draw with pencil, draw with pastel, you know, so now I'm learning oil paints, which I've never learned. That's it. I I love doing watercolor and I love doing acrylic sometimes. Yeah. But now I'm challenging myself by painting with a new medium. It's, It's pretty fun when it's like, oh, I get it. I just learned something where this clicks. Now I understand. Yeah. But now I'm at the point where I like have all this foundation of art. Uh, under me to try to like so I can make a painting and I can think about the lighting and I can think about the the interactions yeah and but now I'm just trying to do it with a new medium well your book is at the bookman correct I think yeah I think we have a couple copies there and Amber Price is running the mural fest so we should absolutely give a shout out to the murals that are up now have you had a chance to check them out I haven't I did hear about that I don't know anything about it though I think maybe it's because I'm in Abbotsford. I don't hear about Chilliwack a whole lot. Yeah, they put up four or five murals right downtown, right where her business is, just to brighten it up. And was there's that that was in Chilliwack. Yeah, I think I heard it on the radio, and I thought I thought Vancouver. Are they doing that in Vancouver too? I have no idea. I don't oh, keep man. up with Vancouver. I'll have to go downtown and look then. Yeah, that sounds really cool. It is awesome. I, I did a couple of years ago. I got tasked by some of the artists at the Life Drawing to come help fix some murals because they got like graffitied. Wow. So we all just went down there and we like help repaint them essentially yeah but yeah I, i'm really curious so it's down by the bookman you said there's some yeah all throughout now no way yeah brilliant trying to bring more life to downtown yeah well i know they did that one that was near uh that vault area right on the corner they have that nice mural that went up a couple years ago yeah yeah awesome awesome well tell people how you um is there anything else you want people to know about the book so i don't think so i think i think i i just would love people to try it i think you know the better we can do with getting people on board to really like experience it and explore drawing it the better because that's in the end that is our goal um we'd love to sell them all and like make another book but that remains to be seen right now so yeah i think if you can't if you can't get a copy of the book band if they've sold out or whatever just you know send us a message on copyline.com and you know if you're on instagram too check out you know i think it's at copyline yeah because we, we try to post all the time we just try to make it 
inspiring for people that that are trying it and show them different ways they can work with it and see what people are doing too. Yeah. Well, tell people how they can find you. So my website is theartofoneness.com. So uh, you should probably share that because it's probably hard to write. Yes, I can do that. Yeah, because it's like, so the art of one ness yeah, that's it the yeah. art of oneness.com and my instagram is the same it's the art at the art of oneness yeah and yeah i'm available for freelance if people are like looking for maybe a, a rebranding of their brand or if they're looking to get a, a company off the ground or if they have a product they want to develop yeah i'm happy to work with people and, and see how where we go with that awesome and can you tell people how to spell copaline when they look it up yeah so copaline k-o-p-i-a-l-i-n-e copaline Copia line. Yeah, we have two dots in our logo because it's it just looks it looks great. And yeah, that's the real word, but you don't need the dots when you're writing it out. Yes. Well, I think that this podcast was incredibly valuable for people to really get to know the art side of things, build a better relationship with how to draw and where they could start and how to admit to themselves that there are some things that they can improve in themselves and start to work with that because I think that that was a huge theme in this podcast. Yeah. It was an honor to have you on. I'm so grateful that you took the time. Thank you very much. I'm happy. It's, I feel like we had a great conversation. So yeah, it makes me happy. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron.